The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? Yeah, that's really exciting. <laughs> Good morning, people of Earth. Look how red I am. Can we do something about the redness? I feel kind of red. No, we can't. How about that? Nothing. That's a little, uh, nothing. Good morning, folks. It is Friday. Yes, it is. The end of a, a busy week. Made it through the week. Uh, good to see everybody. Or I actually don't see anybody. I see a poster of me as Hank Porter wanted back there. It is Friday, uh, the 22nd of 2022. Friday, July 22nd, 2022. Uh, the heat in the uh, northern hemisphere continues. And some people are complaining about it. I'm not complaining about it. I love it. I love it because uh, it beats the alternative. Well, the the opposite anyway. (laughs) It it would be great. I guess it would be great if it were uh, 80 degrees and not humid instead of almost 100 degrees and very humid. But I'll take it. Uh, It's the summer, man. Dog days, as they call it. Um, Yeah, I'm in the red district. Good morning, Kelly. Looking forward to the fabulous Jess Paul joining me at 9.30 today. Uh, great to have Jess back as a co-host. Wasn't sure that was going to come through this week, but glad it did. And looking forward to uh, hanging with her. Our guest will be Max Docelli. Max is a uh, comedian who's been in the game a long time. Very funny guy. Mostly works clean from what I know of him. Uh, he will be headlining. Uh, the brokerage here on Long Island tonight and tomorrow night, uh, which is part of the Governor's uh, Comedy Network. So we'll be good to talk to Max, get his insight, and uh, maybe get, have a few laughs with him. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I guess I should weigh in on this Chappelle shit that's going on. It's like it's never-ending with Chappelle. Uh, probably some people... Um, Listen, you'd have to be in a cocoon uh, not to have uh, heard any of the stuff about uh, the the hearings last night. There was some, without getting into the politics of it, there was some, I don't know, comic relief, I guess. Or uh, hard to say that when you're talking about such a serious thing. Because, listen, unless you're like a full-blown fucking Kool-Aid-drinking... Uh, Q MAGA cult ready to to do anything for the cult leader. It has to be obvious now what we're dealing with. So I don't think um, I don't think there's any point in, in going over the reality of just how messed up the the cult leader is. 
if you believe, if you're if you're still on the Trump train, as they say, nothing short of that train going off a cliff, falling off the rails, and into uh, a canyon is going to get you off that train. If you're still on that train now, I'm sorry, there's no hope for you. You have lost touch with reality. Uh, the reality is basically we had big fat man baby, uh, self-absorbed loser, ready to burn the country down for his own interest. And guess what? We told you that before you fucking got on that train. So don't expect a lot of sympathy. Uh, we're seeing people who are kind of realizing the mistake they made. Listen, we the the word the phrase the wrong side of history has been used all too much in the last six years. But the reality of the fact that you're on the wrong side of history is coming into focus for some of those cult members. And it's funny to watch how desperately they try to change the subject and uh just try to do and then you know Fox didn't even cover those hearings last night. And I was doing a show with uh, Derek Sheen for the first hour of it. I love Derek Sheen, and I'll talk more about that. Uh, but there was, you know, Josh Hawley, and then running uh, Mr. Fist Pump in the air, you know, telling people, you know, to do to basically go in there and light the fucking world on fire. Running out with it like he's got to fucking take his shit. <laughs> That's pretty funny stuff, if you ask me. Uh, just the, you know, the just the mannerisms of uh, the phoniness of the fist pump, followed by the holy shit! I better save my own little fucking white ass and run the run out of here is in my suit like a little girl. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, pretty funny. Pretty funny. Uh, What what is good morning Kevin good morning Dean what is this uh, referring to maybe only case worthy of an Iron Maiden rebirth in twenty twenty two I don't know what that refers to maybe I'm I we know I'm culturally unhip I'm sorry I'm sorry I have, please forgive me for my cultural unhipness anyway it is issues with uh, Andy Friday uh, looking forward to the drop. The big drop at noon today, uh, if you're an Issues with Andy's fan. If you're not, you should get on that. Issues with Andy. Uh, uh, I can't bring that comment in, uh, Kevin. I'm sure, um, uh, although I agree with you, I can't bring that in because that would probably lead to me getting um, a strike on several of the platforms and I just don't need that. So, uh, oh, the real historical Iron Maiden. Uh, I thought you were talking about the band. <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, see, I told you I was cultural. Look how I'm not only red, I look like baked, I look like a lobster. Um, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, so Derek Sheen was on last night. I love Derek Sheen. Uh, got some new information out of him. He is, um, He's going uh, uh, going to be doing some date. His cat calendar is pretty full, but uh, you know, I was questioning him about the idea behind this calendar. 
doing a couple of days in uh, Peoria, Illinois, and then he goes down to Georgia. It's all over the map. I'll back up to Eugene, Oregon, if you know Eugene. That's uh, Andy's hometown. Uh, he'll be there with Eddie Pepitone and J- JT and uh, doing some shows there for a weekend. You know, it just seems like, and that's in October. Seems like that would be a good place if um, our friend Andy wanted to get back into the game to do a few minutes on those sets. And I kind of uh, planted some seeds on that last night. But I was talking to JT, uh, Derek, last night about this Chappelle thing. It kind of came up because the question I wanted to ask him Ah, man, I've got to backtrack on this because context is important here. Um, Y'all remember, well, first of all, Derek does a lot of of time opening for Patton Oswalt. And if you remember, last year, maybe six months ago, Patton Oswalt found himself in Twitter hot water, you know, as much hot water as Twitter can supply, I guess, in in one's life, because he seemed to be supporting Dave Chappelle and a lot of people on the left who think Dave Chappelle is homophobe, a transphobe, were angry at, uh, what what was that? Ooh, we got, ooh, what the hell's going on there? Um, Were angry at Patton for going and doing a set with his old friend Dave Chappelle and then Patton kind of sort of maybe kind of wrote an apology note or uh, not an apology maybe an explanation note to Twitter which is bizarre like you don't know nobody owes Twitter a fucking explanation for what they do but he was trying to kind of soften the blow and say listen i've been friends with Chappelle forever and he asked me to do this uh a guest spot and you don't refuse your friends so the question i had for uh derek was because i know derek is his politics are pretty much an open book uh and i know where he, he stands with that and basically the question was this this well a little more context before i tell you that Billy Wayne Davis, a couple of days ago, put out a sort of cryptic tweet about people on Twitter giving him shit for still being friends with people who are on the opposite spectrum of his political beliefs. Now, we know, uh, if you know Billy Wayne at all, it's not hard to tell that he is uh, left-leaning, to say the least. He's probably, I would say, he's firmly embedded on the left now. I don't want to speak for somebody. That's the the impression that I get. I'm pretty sure if you follow him, you'll get that same impression. So Billy's on the left. There were some people who are also on the left giving him shit for still being friends with other comedians, comedians that happen to be on the right. And Billy was defending his right to be friends with people that he's known forever. And like, I should cut people out of my life because you want me to. All that. So the question I had for Derek was simple. It was... With all that context, it was simple. It was, can you maintain friendships with people that you are so diametrically opposed to politically? In other words, you know, and it doesn't matter that Derek is also on the left and and 
the, the diametrically opposed would be on the right. You could turn that around either way. But if you have a political ideology, you have a political commitment and beliefs, core values and principles that you uh, ascribe to, can you be friends with somebody who is completely different just because you've known them, remain friends, especially colleagues, people in your business, uh, other comedians, can you re- maintain a, f- a friendship with them, even though they may be completely on the opposite side, extremists on the opposite side? And de- you have to watch the interview to see Derek's answer about that. But the Chappelle stuff was part of that conversation because we went back to Pat and Oswald stuff, and Derek was opening for uh, uh, Pat and Oswald the night that all went down. So he had a unique perspective on that. Now, what happened this weekend or past weekend with the Chappelle stuff is interesting. It's interesting because, first of all, uh, my take on this, I've never thought Dave Chappelle is necessarily a transphobe or a homophobe in any way. I think even though somebody may be a professional communicator, and uh, very good with words and making using words to make people laugh. They're not always the most eloquent communicator in terms of ideology, what they truly believe in, and principles. There can be a difference. You can be really good at using words to craft uh, laughs out of people. That doesn't necessarily mean you're ready to run for office or articulate civil rights for groups that you're not part of. I think Chappelle is very, very committed to civil rights for African-American black people. Uh, And that's what I just said there. That's always an ongoing, you know, we talk about pronouns and stuff and mislabeling people. That has changed my entire life, African-American black people, uh, when I was uh, a young man, it was appropriate to call black people, African-American people, Negroes. Some people call them colored people. Uh, today we hear the term people of color. But I'm sure at some point, and it could even be now, the word black, it could be offensive. African. Some people don't like to use the word term, the phrase African-American. So, you know, all this stuff is kind of... it. There's a and uh, not equality in, in the way the LGBTQ people are saying pronouns, but there is a a consistency in that the way we treat words, the way we use words, is always going to continue to evolve and and become under scrutiny. Now, when I was a kid, the word queer would definitely get you in trouble. It would mean you were a bigot, and and but now it's part of the vernacular. LGBTQ. What does the Q stand for? There it is. I mean, so we don't know what words to use, but I think Chappelle is very committed to civil rights for African American black people, and he feels like there is an inequality of the way the two groups are fighting for their fair share uh, and and to be treated with respect 
and uh, equally on their, on their in society. And maybe he has a point, maybe he doesn't, but I don't think that makes him a transphobe. You know, some people will say, well, just jealous that one one group is jealous, envy, that one group is able to manifest change in how they are treated with respect faster than another group, the group that he happens to be part of. I'm really struggling with that. How to de- describe what I think is going on there with, with Chappelle? So I don't think he's a. Uh, I don't think necessarily hates trans people. I think he would like to see the kind of change that they have manifested towards their community quick, uh, relatively quickly in his eyes, as opposed to uh, what it's taking uh, black people in America centuries to try to. Move the ball forward, so I think he, there is some a, a little bit of resentment there. But I think what what he's trying to articulate is his his case, and it gets caught up in people calling him all sorts of things, calling him a hater. I don't think I don't think that's him. I just think he's really caught up in a a web uh, a web of inarticulation. He can't really articulate his ideas in a way that's not going to piss anybody off. And the more he tries, the worse it gets for him. Or maybe the better it gets for him, depending on your perspective here. Because he's still, still selling out shows. His The people who are in his fan base are as committed to him as ever, if not more. Uh I'm not sure what the Kevin having a uh, when's the last time two families of gay people started a brawl at Disney World? Uh, probably never that not uh, that I know of, but I'm not sure what that has to do with with the conversation. If you want to articulate further what that has to do with this conversation, I'm all ears. Um, it just seemed like it came out of left field to me. Um, so I think. I don't. I don't think that that Chappelle is necessarily a hater, but I think what happened this past weekend. Now, this is really it's beyond just people calling him transphobic and all, all this stuff. He had sold out a show at a venue, a venue that is known in the past for having people who say controversial things, comedians who said controversial things. There, they decided that. They were going to cancel shows that were already sold out at the last minute. Now, Chappelle found another venue in the same town to do those shows at. But it's a very weird thing. Like, the place had no problem. They they knew about the controversy when they booked Chappelle to be there. They knew about it while they were selling tickets. It was at the last minute they they found conscience about what what they believed in, or did they? It was, or was it just succumbing to pressure from from groups that that were protesting? I don't know, but, but it's very weird that it, it was, you were okay with Chappelle when you hired him, when you booked him, when you when you planned on having him there. You were okay with him for the last several months while you sold tickets, every seat in the house for a couple of nights. And it wasn't until the day before the show that you decided, no, this isn't what we're about. 
and again, it's a, it's a club, a venue that has it had some people with some really controversial stuff in there. So I think that's a little bit weird. Uh, one, uh, Kevin saying one group puts up its own roadblocks uh, to acceptance, and one doesn't. Um, so you're saying because uh, if I have this correctly, I just want to make sure I have it. Uh, apparently, and I'm just guessing from the context of, the, of your comments here, that a black family or black people started a brawl at Disney World. So that's the reason that um, black people should not get uh, equal rights. Is, is, that, is that the case? Is that what you're saying? I'm just trying to, and again, I'm not. I'm not trying to start an argument here. I'm just. This is pointing out what basically what I'm saying. That not saying that's my opinion, but I feel a large portion of America does. Okay, but this is the problem that I think Chappelle has. What you just said, if you were a famous person you would probably get some hate from that. And then backtracking from or trying to explain your position in a way that doesn't make you seem like a bad guy uh, becomes really difficult because people have already made up their mind about what you said and the intent and what's in your heart, even though that might not be the intent or what's in your heart. See, this is... I'm not, I don't even want to get into whether Chappelle is his case about black people, people, civil rights versus trans people, civil rights, uh, uh, you know, whether that's, I think the issue with Chappelle is people don't understand what he's saying. And they're assuming because they had an emotional reaction to the very first words he said in one of his specials going back two or three specials about this thing. And they, they put it in their minds that he's a hater and now can't listen to him as he tries to explain his position further. All he does is complicate the issue more. Can't It's like me when I said when I said that I was uh, pro pro life, a lot of people assumed that that meant that I was not for women's rights and that there was a little bit of backlash again. And I got lots of hate mail. I can't believe I thought you were, I thought you were on our side. I am on your side. I, I am pro-life, but I, I think <laughs> pro-choice trumps pro-life trumps. Oh my God. I, I hate even saying that word as a Trump <laughs> women's rights is more important than the, whatever I feel about a fetus's right to live or, or have a life. So I'm trying to, uh, trying to explain that just got me in more trouble. I can be pro-life and pro-choice and have my priorities on pro-choice. So I do think I am pro-life. I would love to see every pregnancy be a wanted pregnancy. If people got pregnant, if a woman got pregnant, I would love to see that it be by her intent, something that she wanted. Uh, if it's not, I think it's completely her choice to deal with it as she, she, she may. 
um, and, and as she wants to. So I think you can be pro-choice and pro-life. But that just saying I was pro-life got me in a whole lot of trouble. And so I'm kind of empathizing with Chappelle. I think this is where Chappelle is right now. I think no matter what he does, he can't explain in a way that is going to satisfy people that have made up their minds that he's a hater. There's no way of backing out of that from now. From here, people are always going to consider him a hater and not really listen to the words he says, but listen to how or or pay attention to how they feel about the words he says. It's a big difference. It's a, a really strange controversy uh, with Chappelle. Now, on the other aspect of it, what I actually asked Derek about, can you can maintain friends with friendships with people who are so fucking far on the other side of your beliefs, principles, values, and all that kind of stuff? Can you maintain those relationships, especially as a colleague in the same business, professional comedy? I find it, even in real life, very difficult. I, I have friends. Explain this to Derek. I have friends that I go back fifty years with, who had I had great relationships with, up until twenty fifteen when Donald Trump announced he was running for president, and then I had to say uh, I was completely opposed to the man. I knew who he was. I knew what he was going into it. Again, if you're on the Trump train, a lot of us told you in advance what the hell you were getting into. But I still have so those, a lot of those people in my life, and I can enjoy their company as long as we don't talk about politics. But here's the thing: we can't we can't get into long form conversations with people that, or I can't, for a long period of time without something political entering the discussion. And when it does, if they are so far opposed on the opposite side of where I am, it's going to get tense. It's going to get unfriendly. Um, so I don't think, you know, if you go back to Billy Wayne's sta statement about telling people that, you know, on Twitter that he has a right to be in, right. I don't know if he used the word right, but he's, he's got friendships with people who are completely on the opposite spectrum of politics and he maintains those those friendships because he's known them for 50 years or 30 years. He's not quite as old as I am. Uh, and, and doesn't have to cut those people out of your life. I, I see that. But when I see people who are so passionate, you know, people like Billy and Derek, and they are, again, they are committed, clearly committed to the things they believe in. And so, and when you talk about things like women's rights and, and minorities, civil rights, if you're committed to that, and then there's somebody on the other side who is against that, how do you maintain with friendships with people who want to enslave, enslave is the right word, women, uh, black people, you know, Hispanic people, whatever, they, want to control them want to treat them as unequal how do you maintain friendships with that with those people i don't know i don't know it's a question 
anyway, not to get too serious here, but that is at the heart of the discussion that's going around about, you know, Chappelle and the other comedians who are distancing themselves from him. Can you maintain friendships with somebody when you don't even understand what they're trying to say? And I do think, just wrapping this up, and maybe we're not wrapping it up. Maybe I'm just putting it on the shelf for a second while I bring Jess in. But (laughs) I think a big part of the problem with Chappelle is his inability to articulate what he really feels. And a lot of people are interpreting what he feels as hate. Well, I think what he's feeling is envy. He wants, not, you know, to be a psychoanalyst for the guy, but I think what he's looking for is the same kind of advancement for his people, his people, as uh, the LGBTQ people have have been getting. And it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's not for me to judge somebody like Patton Oswalt for standing by his friend but still wanting to hold on to his own principles that are diametrically opposed to that friend. The tricky, tricky life isn't always easy, folks. Uh, especially when you look like a red, shiny lobster like I do today. Anyway, uh, somebody who doesn't look like a red, shiny lobster, she looks uh, like a beautiful young woman uh, is here with us. Good morning, Jess. Good morning, Matt. Well, thank you so much for waking me up at the crack of dawn. No, I'm, I'm very happy. I didn't wake you up. Your alarm did. Uh, that's we, true. Do you like lobster? I can't remember the last time I had it. Like, I never think about it. It's nothing I, I seek out. Like, yeah, well, you know, I need well, some lobster in my life. I don't know why. It just looks like Well, you life. have some lobster in your life right now. So. <laughs> uh, I was just listening to your conversation. And I don't know if you want to drop it, but I, I'm sure that I can. Yeah, you got, you got opinions about it? I'd love to hear them. My okay. gosh, too many to share, Matt, at this early in the morning. But um, so just just speaking about being friends with people on the other side of the line, I what a human struggle. And I, I'm sure that, like, I try to think, because, you know, you, you would be able to answer this. I, I, I'm watching the news now, um, watching all, all the, you know, current events and thinking, like, has it ever been this crazy in the U.S.? And I'm sure it has, like, the, the divides and everything in some instance or another, uh, right, like, fighting for civil liberties uh, all through the 70s and um, the 90s. And, but, you know, I get to experience this firsthand now as, a, as an adult watching what's happening. I, I've had some people that I, that I have dropped, like, I'll tell you one story about a filmmaker this was one of the first filmmakers that I ever worked with. And to the degree, and I was so close to him. I had been in multiple uh, productions of his, loved his writing. And um, one thing that I really prided myself on, (laughs) put myself on a little pedestal, give me a trophy, is that I felt like I was able to work with people on the other side of the lane. Like we talk about bigotry and everything or biases And, you know, I think of myself like, oh, my gosh, I have like no biases. I'm not bigoted at all. But when I really think about it, like it's it's kind of the opposite. When you think of bigotry, you think of racism, you think of uh, sexism and and uh, not being able to understand communities like the LGBTQ. 
But my biases come with people that are religious. You know, that's something that I don't understand. It's something that I personally cannot jive with, do not understand. Um, and one of the first filmmakers I ever worked with was uh, Christian and he had this big family and I knew all his kids and I would like take pictures with his kids every time I was over, I was working with this guy for years. And what ended up happening is his daughter was going from being a child to being a teenager. And one day she posted on her Instagram herself, like, you know, throwing up the peace sign in front of a, a, a Trump a Trump flag. And I had no idea. Well, he, I always knew he was a little conservative. Again, that was where I was like, oh, my God, Jess Paul being able to like work with everybody. <laughs> and and I was just so shocked because I knew he was conservative per his Christian values. But I had no idea that he had bought into Trumpism because she was like 13 years old. So she was obviously like listening to what dad said. Like I stayed away from his like privatized Facebook because I knew that, you know, I, I don't know. I, it was like being like blissfully ignorant just in order to, to have a friend like this. And I ended up, I don't know if I sent it in a message or a comment and to, it, it seems kind of childish now, but I wrote like kind of a paragraph of dissent to the little girl, to the daughter. And, and, and it wasn't mean, it wasn't nasty. There was no name calling, of course, like that's ridiculous. But I, I said, in essence, like, I hope that you grow up to, to develop your own ideas and to be skeptical and to, you know, not necessarily just, just, you know, hop onto what dad says. Hmm. So she, uh, I, I, I gotta, I gotta say this, Matt. Um, I have this problem with like, I have a running rank list of people that I make cry with my opinions. I don't know how I do it. Like I try to soften it every time I do, but it doesn't end up working. Um, in fact, I think I'm giving someone a gift of my advice and it doesn't, I, I don't, I don't know. I I've been working on it my whole life. Like this has been going on for years. But um, she got really upset. She ran to dad and he he wrote back to me again, his own novel um, and was like, I had no idea you were into identity politics. And I was really confused by that, especially thereafter, because I was still in the shock that he was um, a Trumpster. I, I didn't know. And I wrote I, I remember thinking afterwards, after I kind of wrote like, you know, I guess we're not friends anymore because we were going back and forth a lot. Um, thinking like I, I'm into identity politics. His his daughter was just like wrapping herself in a in a Trump flag. Like I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I guess identity politics. He meant like you subscribe to distancing yourself or othering yourself from other people. And I didn't actually mean to do that. I, I never meant to like cut off my friendship with him. I just wanted to say that to his daughter, and hopefully she would eventually see clarity. But now I, I literally went from, you know, working with this guy on multiple projects, having future like pipeline projects in the back of our, our, you know, schedules. And then all of a sudden the friendship went away. So, uh, it, you know, I, I'm sure that a lot of us have stories like that. And then of course, when it comes to the big question about what's going on right now with, uh, women's rights and abortion rights, I, it feels so personal, does it? I mean, it just, it, like if somebody you know is calling themselves pro-life and, and they're against uh, me getting to decide if, if anything ever happened, if 
if contraception, the first line ever failed, like that I would not have any other options. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just not having sex with men anymore because I'm, I mean, I, I live in California, so I'm really just coming up with an excuse to not date these guys out here. But, um, oh, but I get that 100%. I wouldn't either. But, um, you know, this, uh, it, it does, it, it feels like a personal slight. It feels like, and of course they'd say, Oh, but not you, but it's like, but I'm, I'm ingrained into this problem. Like I'm part of, of the people that are now getting freedoms taken away. You know, I, I did this chart. I've, I've started with a life coach, my friend, she's trying to build a life coach coach business. And so I feel like I am getting this free therapy. We have, we have been two pages into a work packet and I have cried both sessions dog. Like, I don't know, like I've never, I've never gotten to sit down with somebody and, and, and say some of the, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big personality here on YouTube and I, I'm always talking. I honestly, you, you haven't got a word in edgewise since I came on. No, I'm so, listening, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I, I filled out, um, a lot of the work and I real and what, one thing that she did was to outline our core values. You know, I came from a, a Catholic upbringing and, for years have just been thinking of values as do I disagree with the Catholic values? Do I agree with some of the Catholic values? And, and all I've ever been doing was weighing and, and uh, measuring the, the rules on the tablets, like the rules on the rocks, as I was saying. And I never really thought about actually disseminating my own values from scratch. And so we did this and we, we separated into quadrants and, um, I realized that the 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 value that overlapped the most was freedom. And, you know, when you think of freedom, you think of American flag bald eagle on the back of a pickup truck. And obviously, like, that's not me. But like that. But, you know, it's so weird how somebody on the other side of the line doesn't see the congruity, you know, between that. Freedom. Freedom is always a balancing act. Where does one's right to car- freedom to carry a gun uh, get in the way of my freedom to walk or, or go to a grocery store and not get shot? There's, yeah. you know, it's always a balancing act. Uh, but I, I, I totally appreciate what you, what you just said there. Now, I think, and I don't think we're ever going to get through to people, but on the, the women's rights and the uh, specifically with the right to choose, you said uh, it's extremely personal. And I think that is the thing that people, because there are some people who um, really are pro-life, but they don't realize, uh, you know, the per- that the, at the end of the day, you're, it's personal to you and you should have that right to be, to make that personal, very personal decision. And they want to be able to, impose their will about what's right and wrong on you and that's where it becomes wrong you can believe and i i definitely have come from this world being in pathology and going through a thousand abortions and a thousand stillbirths and seeing fetuses on on the table and not being knowing doctors who couldn't tell the difference between a fetus and a, a born child I definitely believe that life starts earlier than, you know, it's a human being earlier than where we think it is. But I completely understand 
that it's a, a very personal thing. It doesn't come. No woman ever wants to have an abortion. She get she wants to end a, a a pregnancy that wasn't planned. And I think the part of the biggest problem is we don't frame the discussion about this unplanned pregnancy. Uh, the real issue is you want less women getting pregnant without really wanting to get pregnant. And the way to do that is making uh, the morning after pill free for everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, all sorts of contraception. Yeah, and sure. they're against that. So what, you, what you're saying, you just want Giving to us literally no options. Right. I know. And, it, w w you know, one one, uh, uh, you know, metaphor I, I, I think about or, or just like one visual that I think about is when when a school gets shot up, it's. It's headline news for weeks, months, sometimes not because there's so many of them. Um, but but when a woman has an abortion, it affects no one but her. Like, that's the problem. And when you have these arguments with, we'll, we'll say, the conservative right, uh, it's almost like you're not having the same arguments because, you know, people on my side, on the we'll say the left side, are are saying like, but I don't believe that Dumbledore's in the sky watching over me and making these rules and they're like but God and you're like no I don't think like I don't subscribe to that and they're like but God and it's, it's it, there's there's no conversation to be had it's really difficult when it it's comes to that so kind of thing weird I mean because I understand the need to want to believe in, in something bigger than us and and but how, because I know so many really, truly intelligent and smart and educated people that are Bible literalists, that, that believe a 600-year-old man built an ark and had two of everything, including dinosaurs on that. Mm -hmm. Six, and the world is only 6,000 years old. Where, where did they go? They didn't survive the flood. Well, the earth is only 6,000 years old. Right. So right. they had to have dinosaurs on the ark, uh, two of each kind of dinosaurs, by the way. Yeah, because uh, oh. this was a part of a. I actually saw a guy in the, the at the Noah's Ark exhibit in in Kentucky was interviewing them, and they were talking about how there were dinosaurs on the ark. And these are people who got masters and PhDs, and they're not stupid by intelligence standards. They could pass a test, but. To actually believe in it, it's 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 baffling to me how, how you can be a Bible literalist, literalist, and take that stuff word for word. Like, I can understand you believe there's something bigger than us. There's lots of people that have I I believe that I, I understand how someone wants to. I mean, it's scary to think about what's on the other side. If well, to some people, I'm like so cool with lights out, long nap. I will I will sleep when I'm dead, kind of yeah. thing. You that's a, that's my position. I'm not a scared of. I'm not afraid of being dead. I'm afraid of the moment of dying. <laughs> that's true. Like I'm, I'm thinking about the perfect death at this point, where like you know, I don't see it coming. It happens fast, you know, because uh, I've heard a lot of people my age that they they have nightmares of dying and they're so afraid of dying. And I'm like, <laughs> I just, I, I, I. I I don't know. I I feel like it's going to be if if uh, I if I at least don't know it's going to be it's going to be a nice nice. Well, letter. I'm afraid of dying, uh, and I uh, I don't because there's no good way. And I've thought about this. I did a you whole have. show on death and dying. Like, what's the best way to die? Out. One guy told me freezing to death is the best way to die because. But 
that's for the moment of death because freezing is is terrible to me. I hate yeah. being cold. But he's, according to science, the part of the brain that freezes, uh, that causes death, produces a, a an experience of euphoria right at that moment but yeah you got to go through hell because right. <laughs> yeah i need a cold give me a keep me warm i don't i don't like the cold no 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 so there's no good way to die for me and i i cause myself major anxiety by thinking about not being dead i'm fine with being dead but how how the how painful is it going to be and what's the easiest way to die and i don't know that there's an easy way to die have you thought about what you want to do, how you want to be uh, exposed of, disposed of, I mean? I Well, I thought several things. First of all, at this point, I think I'm on the cremation side of it. Mm-hmm. But I, always, I also thought about, uh, they have this, uh, they take your DNA and infuse it into plants. Yeah. <laughs> and grow trees. <laughs> Honestly, that's actually, so I've been looking into this a lot. There's a channel on YouTube called uh, Ask a Mortician with Caitlin and, and she's funny and she's jokey and she talks about death. Like it's, you know, <laughs> going to a pool party and everything. Cause she, she wants to be very positive about it because I mean, it happens to all of us. So she's been exploring a lot of different ways that you can be disposed of. And uh, some things that she has explored was turning yourself into feed for woodland animals. Um, uh, I think that that comes with like that's a cremation process and then put and then added to like a block of feed. But there's another one. And I'm like so for this. And it's been weird because I was talking to my parents about it, you know, because I mean, anybody can die at any time. Imagine if I go before my parents, who knows? Like, this is what we're talking about. Like, it could it could just come out of the blue. And I think that this this person's in Seattle where you are being put into a a capsule on a wall, like a Japanese hotel. And, and you are uh, like covered in like um, a a biodegradable blanket and you turn into dirt, like dirt. And there's tons of it afterwards. Like you can fit, fit a truck bed, I guess, with all the extra stuff that's in there. And you literally turn into dirt over, I think a a month or so. And you're, um, the, the people who survive, you can come and pick it up. And I mean, there's a couple of different things you can do with it. You can either have people pick it up um, or and like use it in their garden, which are uh, beautiful, or you can donate donate it to like uh, they're, they're in partnership with a forest that will take your dirt and reforest this area where the salmon are, you know, uh, during the reproductive season, they're swimming upstream, but it, it, the, the water has to be a very certain temperature and there has to be foliage coverage for them to survive. So not only are you be, being used to plant trees, but also like, you know, keep the salmon alive. And I, I'm like, that's it. Every time I watch this video that where Caitlin goes and explores this, uh, well, you know, if you're a nat- naturalist or nature person, <clears throat> I there's n- really this because on my d- show on death and dying we talked about there's nothing non-natural about becoming worm food. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that's what what happens when we bury people. I think, we, but we it doesn't up... put ourselves in cement boxes and we're filled with formaldehyde. Like I know, I, I know, I know. That. that that's what I was just gonna say. We yeah. we've made it an unnatural thing. Yeah, but. Uh, so I, you know what? I think the worst thing, because having lost a lot of people in my life, I think the um, the worst thing is 
is doing what you just said and then put, putting a stone there. And because every I don't go anymore. But all that stone is is a place for you to go and relive the pain of of not having them there. Remind you how, how much you miss them and all that kind of. It's never a good experience to go to a gravesite, but mm. we do this, and it's a torture thing. It's like, and then we feel obligated to go put flowers. Like they don't, they don't know there's flowers. Right, <laughs> it's just so ridiculous, and it's a, it's such a painful experience to me that I I just think it, you know, human beings are just stupid. That's very insightful. Like to, I mean, I, I agree. Like these, uh, the, the funerals are for the living, you know, um, for, I guess some people that find comfort in it, but, uh, I'd rather like have a, a rock party. Like I'm going to like force everybody to listen to my, my iPod, my Spotify playlist, you know? And, um, like, that's what you can do. Like uh, they were doing, showing examples of the funerals at this, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the facility is called. I'm such a good advocate for them um, who, who put your, you in a Japanese hotel. Uh, and, uh, and, and there was one like metalhead that like, they, they all gathered, they had a ceremony where they did like kind of lay this person to rest. They put the blanket over them. You cover them with like, you know, shrubbery and everything, not shrubbery, but like different little, you know, biodegradable plants and stuff like that. So that, you, you can literally turn into compost um, and, and just like, you know, listen to their music. They're buried in like their favorite band tea. And it was like really cool. I think we need to map out how this, where this conversation went, because I, it started mm. with me talking about <laughs> asking Derek Sheen, who was on the program last night, how he maintain and he doesn't, how he maintains friendships with people who are completely oh. on the other so- political side. Mm-hmm. And we, we went from there to abortion rights to, uh, well, trans, trans stuff to abortion rights, and somehow we ended up in death and dying, and how we dispose of bodies. What a, a roadmap! Uh, the, so uh, goes the podcasting life. <laughs> it's interesting how how some sometimes if you dissect how uh, conversations evolve in the path they take. Um, but yeah, so on the Chappelle thing, if I may now. Mm-hmm. The comedy part of it, I don't, I actually don't believe that Dave Chappelle is is full of hate in his heart for trans people. I think he got caught up in a bad articulation of what his what his position really is. And once that bad articulation was out there, there is no way for him to talk himself out of it. Mm-hmm. It would some people, people have made up their minds that he's a hater. He can't, everything he says just buries himself a little further with those people. Now, the odd part about it is people who are haters have made him their champion. People who hate trans people oh, yeah. are, are glomming onto him like he's their their leader and propping him up in that way. So it, it is complicating things and maybe pushing him towards a place that he wasn't at in his heart. Uh, you got any, any thoughts on... on Because I'm having a difficult time articulating my empathy for Chappelle. Not that I'm supporting necessarily any of the specific comics that he said but i do think i've found myself in that position where i stated something i thought was consistent with many people's values and principles for people to misunderstand me and then not have a way to articulate it back to under no you're not listening to what i'm really saying you've already decided that i'm full of hate and you're you think you're making up ideas about what what's in my heart i'm just trying to clumsily as every human being is trying to articulate what I really think. 
What, that, what you... I mean, I feel like that is the problem on the on the modern left. And it feels like and, and that's I, I you know, I, I, I call myself I thought that I was the most liberal person that could exist until oh. until Trump came along and and everybody just made the right their their enemies. But for me, I was like, wait a minute, though, we have to have conversations with these people. Like I said, my friend who I kind of cut out, I didn't expect to cut off that friendship until we had that conversation um, to go back and forth and 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 try to try to discuss what we felt and everything. But it but it ended up happening and uh, unexpectedly, like I said, and I I feel like I feel that you're right. I don't remember. I remember the you know, when when these initial the initial comedy routine came out about Dave Chappelle, I watched at least the extended part of it where he was expressing his his views. And to me, it just sounds like ignorance where. And so the left immediately they they're against, you know, bigotry and everything. But I feel like, again, they, they don't they're not computing that they're too quick to judge as well, where I feel like I, I, this is like the 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 trial of two different um, incongruencies again. Like I was saying the last time I was on the show that, um, you know, we, we say pro-life, pro-choice, but actually pro-choice is right here. And like, there's a bunch of other weird stuff over here. Like, you know, uh, uh, one child policy, euthanasia, uh, forced sterilization and everything. Uh -huh. But um, I always wanted the left to be a little bit more, instead of being just opposite extreme and opposite, you know, pitchfork like like they have pitchforks we have torches kind of thing um i i think you were talking about that on one of your other your pods or, or whatever or no 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 actually it was on i was on rogan i listened i listened to an, a rogan episode after our conversation um the last time and uh um i i wish that we were like it was more so like pitchforks and uh you know it, tolerance seminars like I wish those were the opposites but sometimes it's not I, I wish that more of us were the bigger people but we've got a bunch of uh 15 year old on Twitter that apparently represent all the all the libs <laughs> you know that's who we that's who we have platformed I gotta ask you because you just said and now because I get a most the biggest complaint about me is that I talk too much about Rogan. This is most of the, uh, not most, a lot of the hate mail I get is, man, you're obsessed with Rogan. But since you just brought it up, um, this week I've had, and I don't know what episode you watched, but this week I've had a new Tom problem Segura. with Rogan. And, and it, you can, you have a good perspective on this being in LA. And he didn't, he's not in LA, but he's talking about the homeless problem in LA. Mm -hmm. And he was outraged that first of all, they have uh, four porta potties on the street. He saw that there were well, porta potties, and why should they have porta potties? And all. I'm like, what do you want these people relieving themselves on the street, whatever? So he has no empathy for that. And he and Tom Segura was his guest, and they were talking about yeah. how to deal with it. And and Rogan made a joke, which is not really a funny joke, but a joke nonetheless. He had a smirk on his face when he said, "Why don't we just shoot him?" Why don't you just shoot them all, shoot all the homeless people? And I thought, well, this is what happens when you're out of touch. You lose all empathy for humanity. And you're blaming these, you're blaming people who are have nothing 
because your life isn't perfect. Because you, what you really want, what you're really saying is, I want my sidewalks clean because I want my life to be absolutely perfect. And how dare these people who have nothing get in my way and put and dirty up my life and dirty up my streets, rather than saying, wow, we have a real serious homeless problem in the city. How can we, what's wrong in the system that's making this, this a problem? Why is this happening? And why are so many people so destitute? Taking your heart completely out, out of the picture and saying, it's all about me. They're ruining my life. We got to get rid of these fucking loser homeless people. Uh, your take on, on that. So I did watch that episode. That's the episode that I actually watched because Tom Segura is one of my favorite comedians. Uh, I actually never didn't know he had a podcast, which will will sound stupid to any Tom Segura uh, fan because he's had it literally since 2010, apparently. But he, I I actually learned about it and, and watched the Tom Segura episode because another channel was reporting on what he had said about that. The thing is, um, and maybe this is Chappelle's problem as well. I don't I don't remember exactly how the, how Chappelle articulated his his point of view um, on trans. I, I know that it was muddy. I don't remember exactly what he said because it was a little while ago and it's in the controversy still railing on. But with Rogan, I, it was pretty clear to me that that how he was saying it was sarcasm and satire to he said, why don't we all shoot them all? Because that that would be one thing that we wouldn't get in trouble for. And he was as much of a gun guy as he is. It seemed like that he was he was being, you know, sarcastic about how many rights guns have these days, and uh, you know that that they would be able to get away with it, especially when you are considering what level of status and importance the homeless people are in right now, uh, right. you know, as far as, you know, how we, how we view them. So, because that's a, a lot of, a lot of advocacy groups jumped on the topic of the day. And I hope that that's what they were doing. Cause that's a lot. That's another thing that the left just like gets so, so bad. Like they're, they're just not good at, at, at dis disseminating uh, smarter comedy. It makes me sad that not even smarter, but like comedy in general, like they don't understand when something is said for satire. Like uh, one of my favorite drag queens, you had a, you, you know, I just watched one of your episodes where um, you brought in an author of a book about, about drag queens. One of my favorite drag queens um, is, uh, is uh, uh, Sharon Needles. She's a Pittsburgher and She's one of the smartest queens I've ever seen. She won RuPaul's Drag Race, I believe, season three. And one time she she came under under tons of fire for wearing a Nazi uniform during like a a ridiculous Nazi uniform. Like it was very much drag. It was very much much fashion. And she literally had to sit through an interview to articulate to these kids who are just stand for everybody's rights, you know, stand up for everybody, even though they're not like trans or whatever. I think that they were like either trans and gay because they're in that community. But it was, it was another, another instance of two people having an argument and they're not having the same argument where Sharon was like, I was wearing it in order to play satire of how evil these people are. I'm wearing a costume to embody a villain and these kids could not understand that, that just putting a swastika on something 
automatically means that you like like that's not how how modern language works right. uh you know um context it, matters definitely context matters you know, not to everyone like it like we try a lot of us try to say that like like you've got to listen to the entire clip you've got to understand where this is coming from but that takes a lot of time you know that takes like we it's it's too easy to read the headline and not the article or even in honestly this was similar with the johnny depp trial i watched all of it all of it it, it went on for six weeks and i watched it from beginning to end Why? so i saw oh it was fascinating it was riveting i for the first time i was like listening to it on my my walk to the post office instead of listening to my music um and and of course there's so many things many topics that you attribute to what happened in the or what it means what this this whole thing meant the whole trial meant to other people but what it outlined most to me was how you can rely on the news that you watch peddled documentaries uh, certain stations and in the fallout i watched people clip and and skew and uh leave out a lot of parts of of the of the trial to set johnny up like he was this master manipulator and and yet even though we watched a live stream version of the judi judicial process the entire the entirety of you know trial until proven guilty and i watched it and yet I saw, and so I saw in the media, like in real time, um, try to mold it to their own narrative. So I feel like that woke me up to a lot of, you know, I, I have, when, when I have to take a stance on these situations, I'm always going to be tiptoeing around in the center of the line because, because I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my opinion on something that, that honestly I haven't done tons of research on or at least watch the whole thing um but but so many people are and so that's many interesting because I, I i understand the fascination with celebrity and i also understand when there are these relationships that are are are, are breaking down that that can be like a train wreck and you want to know all those stuff uh but you know uh, to me uh, maybe it's a generational thing i don't i never understood the fascination with that whole trial our guest is here now oh uh, great uh, i don't know what the triple a part of it. max docelli is a very funny comedian been in the game for a long time um he's got a lot of energy uh, for for a, a, a comedian that uh, basically works clean a lot he's all he's very animated and I love his delivery style kind of I want to talk to him about this because some of his hand mannerisms talking stuff I do too. He's definitely got, like from where I'm from uh, <laughs> he's got this kind of thing but it also reminds me because people used to uh, accuse me of this when I was younger of, of watching too much Howie Mandel. Remember Howie Mandel when, uh, when he when he saw like hands all over the place. <laughs> sure. Max is one of those guys. He's here now, ladies and gentlemen. Please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome Max Ocelli to Coffee with the Dog. And he's headlining. Buongiorno, Matt. Jesse, come stai? Molto bene. Tutto braccio. That's right. All right. Now I didn't understand a word of that. I said good afternoon, Matt and Jess. 
Good, good morning. Good, actually, good morning. Yeah. Yes, I know you were up early. Uh, um, so <laughs> that's a, that's a lot. To, I just want to mention before we get started, you're headlining brokerage over in Belmore, Long Island, which is part of Governors. Uh, you'll be there tonight and tomorrow night. I am. Yes, you are. You didn't know. <laughs> what is the AAA comic? What is the tri- AAA comic dot com? Is that is that real? That's a website address because I have yeah, Max Dolcelli dot com and also Max Dolcelli at at dot com. I just. I, I it, AAA comic was wasn't taken, so I took it. Ah, because it he, sounds he's going like for ca- the phone book, uh, you know, trying to be at the top of the phone book kind of deal. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't work. You have to pay Google money. <laughs> oh yeah, right. I, I forgot about the old AAA getting you. That was a trick back in the phone book days. I forgot yeah. about that because uh, it always seemed to me like I just think of car problems whenever I see AAA, <laughs> like, AAA <laughs> comic. What is your whole act about uh, cars breaking down? Um, so uh, uh, you were, you just started with that Italian stuff. You were born in Italy. Sono nato in Italia, sì. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I was born in Italy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have my lead singer. We like uh, he likes to do this Italian medley, Lumanti medley, and he, I don't think he knows any of the. He, like he's just making sounds that, and and I think if there's a real Italian person in the room, they call him out on it. But people think he's actually singing in Italian. He's just whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we my hands are animated because that's how we talk. We talk with our hands, and you know we we're always at, we're always my I have an uncle in Italy right now. He he lost both arms. He can't talk. <laughs> Hey, you see an Italian man with both hands in his pocket. No, you know what he's doing. No, what's he doing? He's talking to himself. He's talking. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, Max, how, how you? You're obviously uh, around my age or something. How you've been in comedy your whole life? Seven. I started in 1979. Went to audition at Catch Rising Star. Wow. In Manhattan, and the other comedian that night at the audition. Uh, was a guy named Bill Maher. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but that, that that's a controversial name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do you now? Does he still know you? Do you still know him? Do you keep in touch? Well, oh, yeah, I haven't I haven't spoken to him in years. Yeah, I spoke to him once on an overnight from LA to uh, New York. I they, they had the uh, he had the opportunity or the blessing to be sat next to me on a, a red eye flight from New York. <laughs> really, was, he didn't have a the, private jet. No, he, American Airlines. For, well, this is 1997. He was doing real time at the time, and oh. uh, it was the worst five hours of his life. I can promise you. That. <laughs> I think he wanted to kill himself when he got off the plane that morning. Um, so now, because uh, most of the people I, I've talked to, other than Jackie Martling, have not had the longevity in comedy that you have. What are the biggest changes in in the from the time you started in 1978, 79, to now in the comedy business? There are jokes and bits that are very funny that you could get away with back then. They can't you can't do anymore. That's just, the biggest change to the I, I believe. Yeah, there's a lot of you have to be careful what you say and not to offend people. We were just talking about that, yeah. yeah. Is that a concern for you? Because it seems like you don't get political, you don't I but then I don't get anything... political, but you know, there were bits you could do about certain things and certain I can't even talk about them on, on, on the radio because people will get offended. 
Well, that's okay. what we kind of what we started with uh, this morning is about some of that. And I feel like, and I'm going to try to kind of articulate this again in as clumsy a way as I, least clumsy way as I possibly can, is that I think sometimes people will hear the first words you say, assume you're a hater, assume bad intent on you, and there's no talking your way out of that once they've uh, kind of decided who you are and what's in your heart. There's no way you can say, well, you, t- you took that comment all wrong. Now, I'm, not, you know, I'm just trying to. It's a joke. Right. People, people, when you're doing comedy, it's like, you don't, you don't go to the theater and watch a play and, you know, go, my God, he just killed somebody. Did you see that? (laughs) No, that wasn't real. It's not real. Right. You know? So uh, have you personally faced backlash for stuff like that and dealt with that kind of stuff? Oh, I had, I had a woman one time. Well, yeah, of course, little, little things, certain things I can't even do anymore, but, uh, I, you know, you and I, we have the same. You know. No, you got you got something there. I got nothing there. I got uh, lobster head. You you don't even have it back here. <laughs> no. yeah. I mean, I do. I probably I I shave so often. I I probably if I let it grow. Yeah. I will. <laughs> my, my, let my hair grow long. I won't have you. <laughs> that is a joke. I you know I, I I used when I was in high school I had a full head. Did you have a full head of hair? Matt? Oh yeah. Yeah, you yeah. look good, right? Yeah. You mean too? I look good. I remember I used to walk into class. All the girls would be drooling. Of course, I was a special ed. <laughs> now, you, well, woman how- stood up, screamed at me. I have a special needs child. That's not funny. The whole oh, audience got man. really quiet, staring at me. I looked down and I said, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she walked out. Yeah. Uh, not to get, not to make this political, but last night after uh, the January sixth hearing on Twitter, there were a big fuss about a guy who was sitting in the in the back row who got a lot of attention. People were saying he looked like Hawk Ken. I mean, are you either one of you familiar with that? And I, I didn't. I I fell asleep. Um, my wife and I were watching it, but I fell asleep. I just want to show you the guy everybody was making a fuss about. Oh, him. Who? Did oh, wait, see- wait, wait, hold it. The, the guy the, way in the back? The guy in the back. The, this with guy. The, with the mask on? That's me with the hair. Oh. oh the guy behind <laughs> him with the hair. Yeah. Looks like I, thought, maybe hair I should there. have put the glasses on him. No, I, I, I photoshopped that in him. But no, the guy was, he was a very handsome young man, and Twitter was on fire about him. Calling him Clark Kent. He was wearing glasses. I see. Yeah. But it was, a, you know, one of the things trending on Twitter last night. Anyway, that's me was. I was going to say, oh my God, he does look like you. Wow. (laughs) You got that, you got the mustache. You have the Ronnie Shakes. Remember Ronnie Shakes? No. There was a comedian, and oh, he was one of the, he he passed away very young. He died probably in his 40s, but oh, he was one of the funniest comics. He used to work at Catch Riding Star. He did three Tonight Show spots. Wow. And then he went jogging and poof. You know, he was, uh, and he had the mustache like you had. That'll teach you. Don't get jogging and doing all that healthy stuff, man. Yeah. Ronnie yeah. had jokes like, I know hell is hot, but is it humid? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It, it would have to be because that's the worst part of heat. I could stand 120 degrees in Las Vegas. I can't stand 90 degrees in or 95. York. Yeah, right. Are you um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in Shoreham, Long Island, but I'm I'm a South Shore guy. 
uh, for my all my life, and then uh, got married to a woman. I've got to drive down from Connecticut, so should I leave now to get there at by seven? <laughs> oh yeah, you're up in Connecticut now. Up in uh, yeah, oh yeah, uh, traffic and you know what? New York is getting worse, even with with all the pandemic stuff. I mean, the roads here are just nightmares. And I'm I, I'm saying that as uh, Jess is in L.A., I'm sure it's worse, far worse there. I don't drive a car. You know, just what no. are you, are you a comedian? Um, you know, that's a strong word. Oh, <laughs> I, oh I'm sorry, did I offend you? <laughs> no, I, I just try to make sure that the bar is low enough so that when I do crack a joke, people are like pleasantly surprised. Oh, uh, yeah, what do you yeah. Store? what's that? You work at the comedy store? Um, serving drinks? No, I oh, no, no. no, I don't. No, just uh, uh, just tell them who uh, about you. I mean, be fair here. Be oh my gosh, let's give me let's give me more of a platform. No, yeah, I'm a I'm an actor, and I I uh, I crack jokes sometimes. I try, okay. and uh, yeah, and I and I just love talking. So so and there's other things. They, and there's other things. Oh yeah, and I'm a fake food artist. Fake food artist. Oh, a fake food artist. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you had any fake food? Fake food. It's fucking delicious. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know the other the other night I I, I worked uh, I was uh, I had to perform a a, a private boat on, in Boston Harbor. They hired me to do this private party, and I was thinking lobster, Boston Harbor because they were serving dinner. Nope, chicken, chicken. chicken. Yeah, chicken, <laughs> fake lobster. Fake well, well, lobster. Well, you got the real lobster right here. Um, <laughs> So uh, now you mentioned coming from Connecticut uh, to, to brokerage. Are you are you staying local these days, or are you you road you know? I'm gonna drive back. And I, I I was gonna get a hotel room, but <laughs> I I went online the other day to look at hotel rooms in Long Island right this time of year. Yeah, yeah. Two, three three four hundred dollars a night. Yeah, Yo. yeah. And really, and there's nothing here other than. Than the comedy, the governor's comedy clubs. That's there's really nothing. <laughs> I guess no. people go there to go to the beach, right? I guess, but no, my beach is empty, and both beaches. I mean, we. I have a. You, you want like a beach? A, I'm sounding like I'm beach. gonna like a freaking elitist here. Yes, I have a private beach. Okay. Uh, wow. Well, yeah, you're mad. My, my, you're, you're mad, mad. I, I'm embarrassed by even saying yeah, that. It's not. <laughs> It, it's not what it, what it sounds like, but the North Shore beaches. I don't know if you're familiar with Long Island. Long Island is two different places. North yeah. Shore and South Shore are completely different cultures, completely different geography. Up here, where I am now, it's hills, rocky beaches, um, all that kind of stuff. I live right across from the uh, submarine base in Groton, Connecticut. There, uh, um, but the nuclear sub base. But the South Shore is ocean. And it's all like prime, like white sands and all that stuff. Uh, that's where the people, you know, the Hamptons, is those people well, go. At brokerage is in the South Shore, right? Yes, it's in Belmore. Uh, I, I was there uh, last weekend. That place has changed. It. I don't know. You know, are you from New York originally before you went from to Connecticut? Jersey, then I lived in New York for a while. And I used to work at Governor's all the time for years. And uh, this first time I ever worked at brokerage. Wow. Well, brokerage is a smaller a smaller room. It used to be a jazz club when I was when I was a young man. I used to go there for for jazz all the time, but uh, that area has now become 
very much like Queens, Brooklyn. You know, it, it has a more, uh, you know, urban feel to it now. But it used to be suburbs. It used to be all very, um, I don't know, very less of less city like than it is now. So that's what you're going into. You'll probably sell out the room both nights. It'll be packed. It's not very big. Uh, governors, when you did that, because the question came up yesterday, how big is governors? Because people were talking about getting, you know, you, who can actually play governors? And I talk about, you know, my dream shows and producing my dream shows over there with like three or four headliners on. Like the room's not big enough to support. Do you remember how many how big governors is roughly seating wise? Oh, it was big. Uh, it was pretty big, I guess. I, it's been about four or five years since I've been there. Right. It was pretty pretty big and i i started there when it was you know guys like you know every everybody used to work there back back then right in fact the, you know your funny story remember richard Minervini he had the east side comedy club yeah absolutely well, when i first talk- started in the comedy i lived in jersey so i had a car and uh having a car was you know well jess doesn't have a car she lives in l.a but to the only car one in LA. Like big deal because most of the comics in New York City. I would drive, I would drive from from uh, Jersey every night to Pips in Brooklyn, you know, and I do a set at Pips, and then I drive and to to Manhattan to do a set of the comic strip or the or Catch Riding Star, you know, or Danger for one of the clubs. But um, I I I I wanted to work in Long Island, and the East Side Comedy Club was back then was like a big deal. It was. So I, I called up Richard Mitrovini and he said, send me a tape. And I, you know, back then we had cassette tapes, you know, and, and I tried to get a good one, but I could. So what I did is I sent him a picture of my car. And on the back, <laughs> I wrote, I have a car. And with the car, I can drive headliners in from New York City. <gasps> and and she wow. called me up immediately and gave me a date. Oh. <laughs> You know what? I get it, but uh, that's uh, I. We used to have guys from Jersey come, and a headliner who didn't have a car. Um, Otto and George. I don't know if anybody remembers the Otto and George. Oh, he was one of the best, right? But he didn't drive himself. No, so, and the, the pay was so terrible in those days. I mean, I think Otto was getting like, uh, and not to kind of put people's personal stuff out there, but he, I think he was getting uh, 125 for the gig, but he didn't have a car and he would come from Jersey. So we ha- had to put on another comic with him who was a driver, a guy who had a car. Yeah. <laughs> put him on. And so that reduces the money. And tolls, gas tolls and all that stuff between two guys now, $125. Well, back then, tolls were only like two bucks or something like that, whatever it was to go through the tunnel. Right. Want to hear a great Otto and George story? Sure, you got an Otto right. and George story. This is, this is Pips. All right, this is back in the early 90s. And I was working, I started working cruise ships by then. Because I do a lot of cruise ships. Fuck, I just got a bunch of dates right now. Uh, right right before the thing, the guy, he sent me a whole list of dates, and I just picked up the one, picked out the ones I wanted. Um. Anyway, um, I got I got just got off a cruise ship and I get a call from the, at the time, uh, the 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 brothers Seth and Marty sold it to a guy named Mike. I forgot his last name, but it was before uh, Ray Garvey owned it. Ray Garvey was the bartender, and he I get a call from Mike. I just got off a ship and he goes, "Hey Max, can you can you help me out tonight? I need a comic." And I said, oh, "I just got off a ship. I I really don't want to drive to Brooklyn." And he goes, "Oh, I need somebody to op- work with Otto and George." I said, Otto and George, you know, to work with Otto and George is kind of like a special thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll do it. 
All right, this was a Saturday night. So I drive to Brooklyn and I park my car on, on Emmons Avenue, you know, in front of Pips. I find a, I found a parking space, and um, and I'm standing at the door, and you know, Ray Garvey, the bartender, is standing outside with Mike, the owner, and the other actor. There's like three or four of us outside in front of the in front of Pips before the show, and and this guy is pacing back and forth from Joe's Clam Bar back, you know, to it. Now we can't swear on this radio station. Show, sure right? you can. Sure okay. you can. So please. All right. Uh, so anyway, he's pacing back and forth, and um, but it's Brooklyn. You know what I mean? He's talking to himself, but it's Brooklyn, so you really don't. It's not a big deal. And all of a sudden, Otto pulls up in a taxi, and the guy's over the by. He right now he's he's pacing, but he's by Joe's clam bar. And Otto gets out of the taxi. He's carrying his bag, and he wa he's he's walking up towards uh, you know where we're standing in front of the club. And this guy sees him, and he runs over him. He goes, "You, you motherfucker! Last night I was here with my friends, and you were making fun of my friends in front of my my mother in front of my friends. I, you're screaming. He wants to kill him, you know. And Otto, you know, you remember Otto without George? Yeah, he was, he was so shy and, he was shy. and timid. Goes, what, what, what are you What are you talking about? I don't remember. What do you mean? What do you mean? He goes, What do you mean? I was here with my friends. You were making fun of my mother. I should rip your fucking head off and get down your throat. And Otto goes, well, I don't, I don't remember. I'm sorry. I didn't really mean to. And, and the guy goes, well, fuck you. You know, if it wasn't for your friends being with you, I'd kick your ass right now. And the guy starts to walk away. And I swear to God, and Otto look, he goes, well, did you like the rest of my show? <laughs> and the guy turned around. He's like, you couldn't even say anything. Now, um, you work mostly clean. Uh, Otto never, uh, George never. George was the dirtiest uh, <laughs> no, he was. puppet I ever saw in my life. He was. He, so, he opened, Otto and George opened the door for all the shock comics that you see today. Right. Because he was doing it before anybody had the balls to do it. But the question I have for you now, your your work mostly clean. I know every once in a while you're not doing like dry bar comedy. You you, you can throw in an occasional. Oh, yeah, when I, when I work the clubs, I feel the audience. I've been doing it for so long. I feel the audience, and I give them what they want. Right, working I with feel like a comedy whore. What, working with somebody like Otto and George, though, did you feel pressure to kind of dirty it up even more? You know, be well, as dirty as you not possibly really could. because. You know, they kind of like they have that, you know, and, and I just I go I, I I'm not really I'm not squeaky clean when I work clubs, uh, but, you know, I don't go overboard. Uh, but how, how do you make that transition like to do a dry bar comedy special? And now because I think if your natural uh, tendency is to occasionally like you will ask, we can't swear on them. So obviously you have some control there. I don't. <laughs> which is how I got ban banned from AM radio 30 yeah. years ago. Uh, but uh, it, it seems to me a hard thing to do, like doing drug bar and not to let an occasional F-bomb slip no, out. No, of well, you know, you learn, you train. I don't know. I, I, I've been doing it. Like when I work ships, I've got to do, uh, I've got to do not one, but two different 45-minute clean shows. Right. Completely different. And you know how hard that is? I yeah, I, I'm in my yeah. cabin doing my homework, going over bits that I hadn't done in years, you know. Uh, but you you just learn not to. And then if they ask you to do a late night, but you know, I've been working like I do corporate and cruise ships for, for so long that I don't even use the I only use the F joke, the F bomb once in my act. 
You know, wow. it, there's no other joke. There's no other word that can replace it. Wow. Yeah. Well, tell, tell me about cruise ship because I'm thinking like if you go out for a week or week, I mean, generally two or three day cruises are, are a thing of the last 20 or 30 years, but generally cruise ships have always been like at least a week out there. Yeah. Uh, and you have two different shows, but how many actual shows do you do? Do you do a different show? Or you do two shows no, a day? Well, it all depends what cruise line or what ship you're on. There are some ships that have a comedy club. Most carnival ships have a comedy club and a lot of Royal Caribbean ships have a comedy club. And then you work the comedy club and then you're doing two or three shows a night and you can do pretty much anything you want, you know, but if you're working some cruise lines, you're doing the main show. So you're like, for example, you, you get on on a Saturday and then they'll have you work either work the welcome aboard show and you've got to do like 40, 45 minutes, two shows, one for an early seating and one for a late seating, you know, like seven o'clock and a nine o'clock show for two different audiences, the same show, but it's got to be totally clean. And then later in the week, you're, they've got you scheduled to do two more shows, but for the same audiences, but you've got to be totally clean, but different material. Wow. Okay, that, that, that's the thing that would really get me is because it's like being in a really small town. I mean, yeah. you're basically going to get the same people who saw you just a couple of days ago. Right? I know. But that's why you have to do different material. And for some reason, somebody in the cruise, cruise land, land world think that it's easy to come up with two different 45-minute clean shows. That's difficult. It's really difficult. Yeah. The audiences, are they like... Because when, when I, we used to do shows, I brought this up a couple of times this week. I'm surprising to me. We used to do shows that nobody beats the whiz during the lunch hour. Yeah. A and uh, <laughs> comedy club, make turned it into a comedy club at lunch hour. People shopping for modems and, and fax machines and stuff. Well, you, and you work, you're working in front of everybody. The children, you know, the kids, the families. Right. You know, old people. So there's kids in the audience. So you got to be careful. Yeah, but the problem with, with that and the question I want to get with the audience problem we had with the Wiz show is people who had been there a couple of days before back, now they saw that comedian and now they're yelling at requests like, I know your material so well, I know what you do. And and basically, you know, do the bit about whatever. And does, did you get that on cruise ships? Because that to it, me it is happened, annoying. Yeah, it's happened. <laughs> Yeah, part of the I've seen a lot of a lot of weird stuff on <laughs> I actually had a guy die on me right in the front row. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah, performing and this guy did just uh, literally in the front row, him and his wife, and he's like then and all of a sudden he goes over. You know, and I'm, and I said to his wife, "Ma'am, is your husband okay?" Oscar! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, not a bad way to go out, right? right well, right what I did was I said, if there's anyone in the audience that's a doctor or a nurse, can you please come down to the front? Can everyone else please leave? And somebody called emergency. And the um, and put the him uh, on. And, put them on. We want to take call. that phone call. No, uh, no, I, 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 I'm not. No, I've been trying to reach you about your your call in uh, warranty. <laughs> But anyway, they, 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 I had a, the show had to stop. You, could, you can't continue while somebody. Oh yes, you can. And no, I have a story. About, I have a story about that. But I uh, before I talk, tell you 
briefly about that story. There was a guy on Long Island who was a, and I can't think of his name, Dr. Something. It was a German name. And he would perform in surgical stuff and put on this air of like being a real doctor. And there was a time when somebody in the front row had a major heart attack and fell down. And people believed this guy's persona as a doctor. He basically said he was a surgeon. That's his full-time job. And he was a comedian. But he wasn't a surgeon. He was lying. But people believed he was a surgeon. And when this guy took a heart attack in front of him on the floor, he just looked and people were expecting him to do something. And he's like frozen because he doesn't want to blow his his cover (laughs) as not really being a surgeon. But he wants to kind of say, is there a doctor in the house? And not knowing what to do. I think he finally broke down and asked for a doctor in the house, and people were oh like, "Oh, I thought you. Well, that's not my specialty." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen fights break out. I mean, if you perform, you must have seen a fight break out in the audience. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I've seen people stomp to death. But uh, oh, to your point wow. about not being able to continue, you we, can't uh, my, continue my band was playing an outdoor venue in. Uh, uh, Lindenhurst, New York, a beautiful arena type setup. It's like Jones Beach, but smaller. And we were right in the middle of a set, and I heard this blood curdling scream. Ah! The guy hits the floor. He had a massive heart attack, and and basically, why everybody stop, stop? And they came out, and they were giving him CPR and nothing, and basically, uh, they trying to revive him the ambulance comes they put a white sheet over his head and uh take him in the ambulance a guy actually uh, got up and said the lord's prayer over him but <laughs> they took him away and then then they were the band the owner of the venue was like, come on go back come on start up and one two three four I'm like wait a minute i'm like Whoa. wait wait this is not cool. This is in really bad taste. You can't just start up the party again. Oh, yes, we can. People are waiting for the music. He's gone. Don't worry about it. And, and so gone. we did restart the show. I got home that night and I was like, highway to hell? <laughs> I got I was so flustered by that. I, I went on the face on our band Facebook page and I said, a guy died on me on the on the dance floor tonight. That's the first time for me. Probably a first time for him, too. And <laughs> And and I was kind of making a joke about it. And then the people who were telling me that I needed to start up like right away again, and, and they were getting on me like, you can't make that kind of joke. I mean, they got to be sensitive. The guy's yeah. family. And all. It's like, you're the ones who was saying, yeah. start the show. So, yeah, you can just yeah. continue the show. Like, yes, you ever had anybody die on you? You see, they're on the other side of the computer screen, so they can be like jacking off, and I would. <laughs> well, you ever have a guy die during sex? <laughs> Can't say that I've I've crossed that line or checked that Not off yet. my list. Uh, my my Sleep brother Rockefeller. Hi, my brother's ex-wife. Oh, I shouldn't. Man, I'm giving away too much personal. <laughs> no, you don't do that. Uh, her, her first right. husband died in the act. Mm. Again, another good way to die. Like, that wouldn't be too bad. For him. For him, for sure. Traumatic for her. I mean, me, imagine being with somebody and they just, you know, maybe it's bragging rights. Especially if they're on top. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you want to hear a funny a cruise ship story? I was working on a small ship called, uh, what happened to Jess? I'm here. She's here. No, oh, dear. Okay. All right. All of a sudden. Oh, it's you, Max. <laughs> oh, there you are. 
Uh, you want to hear a funny cruise ship story? Yeah, of course, we want to hear funny everything yes. story. All right, I was working <laughs> on a ship called the Dolphin. It was a very small ship. It was all Greek crew. This is a ship. It went from uh, Miami to to the Bahamas to Freeport and then back. It was just two day, two three night cruises. You know, small small little cruise line that went back and forth. Okay, my my cabin was down on the bottom next to the food and beverage manager, who was a Greek guy, and. Um, I go to bed one night and I wake up around two o'clock in the morning to like this woman, you know, ah, 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 because the, the cabin walls are really fine. Then she goes on. This went on for about 45 minutes. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> and finally it stops and she goes to sleep and we, and I go back to sleep. All of a sudden I wake up about an hour, two hours later around four or five in the morning to the same thing. Ah, ah, ah. And all of a sudden, she's screaming, no, not there, not there. I jump up, and I bang on the wall, and I go, not where? (laughs) (laughs) And then we got got quiet. And then the next day, I see him. He goes, goes, why you ruin it for me? Why you ruin it for me? (laughs) And then he goes, Why why you ruin my sleep for me? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I guess I had a guy on uh Frankie. I was King. wondering what, where it was. I have an, an idea. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, guy who was on a cruise ship at the top of the pandemic in uh somewhere in Asia. Mm-hmm. And they they uh quarantined the boat. Nobody on and nobody off. Yeah. And oh he, my God. he jumped they, ship. He jumped ship, I remember. What, what was his name again? Frankie King. Yeah, Frank King. Yeah, do you yeah. know Frank? Yeah, he's been on the program. But I had him on right after that and wasn't aware of that. And we talked comedy the whole time. He never once mentioned, like, you're on a talk show. Isn't that the place you want to, you know, something you want to talk about? I don't think he's working about. ships anymore. Was he, is he banned now or something? Or Yeah, I think he is kind of banned I mean, from, from that. You don't do, you don't do that. Because he was trying to get to a corporate gig, which canceled him because he made the news. Ah, uh, yeah, it, w- it was all over the news, but it's just surprising me that you know that's a, a, a public, a, an interesting story, and that's something that if I were a guest on a talk show, that would be something I'd want to bring up, especially if the host like me oblivious to it until afterwards. And I, I basically found out like two days later. I was like, "Damn, he was on the show. Why didn't we talk about this jumping ship in Asia and making his way back to?" The Northwest, where he is. Yeah, he was trying to get to a corporate gig that he had booked, but when they found out, they canceled him, and I think he he lost a lot of work because of it. That sucks. No wonder he was available to do my show. Uh, (laughs) Now, corporate gigs, you do a lot of those. I do. I I just did one Wednesday, and um, you know what is. What is that? Well, you know, I know what corporate means for me. When I go into corporate, I do a, a lot of corporate work. But it's it, it for me. It's it, I don't have to. Uh, I'm thinking comedians are necessarily have to kind of tailor it to the business. They well, wanna... you know, they're like they're like private parties and private uh, functions where a co- company wants to hire a comedian to do something or somebody wants to hire a comedian for a party and stuff like that. They could be iffy, you know, they could be, I just did one, all engineers. This company makes robotics, ro- makes robots that uh, the, operate on people. They, they, these robots actually do 
uh, surgeries. And these 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 guys that I work that, that that came to my show, they're all engineers, and also they work with cadavers all day long. So they their sense of humor was just not there. It was yeah. very, it was very. Not- Sounds oh, you like think my this would be a little freaky, you know? <laughs> like they'd be open to the the laugh, you know? Yeah. Sounds like my background. I have background in both of those things, robotics and, and working with. I worked oh, in. I, I've done. Uh, I've participated in four thousand autopsies. Oh my goodness! Wow. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know. Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. And uh, I was until I started in that the most squeamish person ever on in, in the planet. Like I couldn't stand the sight of blood and did not know when I got hired for the position that that's what it was for. I basically thought I was going to be doing videotaping and audio taping and multimedia work. And it wasn't until my first day on the job where my boss said, come on with me. We're going down to the morgue. I said, morgue, why? (laughs) (laughs) Why? You're not not squeamish, are you? I said, totally. (laughs) (laughs) And basically that day we were uh, basically had a 400-pound woman uh, on the table, and uh, he brought out a Black and Decker chainsaw, <laughs> and it's like, wait, this is how you do autopsies with tools? Yeah, I mean saws. Well, with four hundred pounds, hammers. Need a Black and Decker chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. How big was she? I don't know. I never got back far enough to see all of her. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's totally different than anything you would ever imagine. Like they portray it on television, like you know when you see them in an uh, autopsy room, it's nothing like that. I mean, you see people in there without masks on or, or any of that. You're covered head to toe in a clean suit, uh, mm. all that stuff, and it's really in, uh, cumbersome. It must but, be really sad, especially if you see young people that are you know. lots of them, over a thousand child and and oh and my god, bringing that up this morning. I couldn't deal with that. I could not deal with that. That was my I extreme depression, and people would tell me you got to get out of that business because it was a really really depressing thing. Uh, it, you know, it was an education. I've had some really strange careers in my life, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not not a hap. That's not a a happy business to be in, but because Jess was talking about morticians before, the more the guy who was the deaner there was a mortician. He was the creepy, and I came away with with the worst uh, prejudice against morticians and people who work in funeral homes. Oh no, it wasn't like that Sam Kennison bit, was it? You know, oh shit, no, really, ah ah ah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the guy screwing a, a dead person. Yeah, this guy. You this guy used to love to take take young underage girls to the morgue to have sex with them in the drawers where they stored dead bodies and oh was, my god no no and he, he no. was caught doing that and kept his job wait the guy you knew or sam the, one of the guys i know one of the guys i actually worked with and he, he actually kept his job after they caught him doing oh that. my god it should burn in hell and yeah. he probably is or will right and he never uh as far as i know never was a necrophiliac had had actually sex with corpses or anything but i wouldn't put it back he was that creepy and it made me think of everybody wait, in these, that wait, these underage girls were alive i assume they were yes. corpses no oh no my they god because i was gonna say like i mean we were just talking about like we don't know what happens to our bodies after death so am i gonna play a little devil's advocate but okay that's different <laughs> yeah yeah no that's why you want to get cremated and get it out of the way right <laughs> No, so yeah, but these young girls 
that was God. the end for them. That you know, that was his pickup line. You're like, you want to go see the morgue? Want to go see a dead body? Yeah, yeah. And that was like you know, it's a, a cool thing to do. But he was a creepy, creepy dude. What um, a terrible, terrible thing to do to a to a child. I know. Oh. And I can't imagine anybody saying, "Yeah, that sounds cool. Let's go." <laughs> Honestly, I probably life. would have been one of those kids. Like the, the closest I've got to anything like that was I took an anatomy class in college because I thought it would be more helpful as an artist. I could I could learn to draw the skeleton. Um, I ended up I ended up just being totally confused. I remember my teacher called me out one time. He goes like in a room full of fifty kids in a stadium class. You know, like one of those kinds of classes. And he goes, Jess, why did why is your face all screwed? Like why do you why do you have that that look on your face? And I said to him like. Because we were doing, um, we were learning about muscle tendons and, and how the muscle cell looks. But in the book, there were no photographs of the slides. And I said to him, I just don't believe you. And, and, and he was talking about like the cells, like looking like little arms and grabbing on. And I'm sure he's trying to use a metaphor, but I was, I was being a little too literal. You know, this is, this is me questioning everything. But we, when I did the anatomy class where we actually had a lab, uh, we, we were dissecting cats. Uh, we had a lot of strays around the the college campus, so I'm assuming I I don't know I don't know where yeah. they came from, but wow. um Gory. you know <laughs> I love cats, but I also I also kind of pride myself like I have a couple superpowers, and basically my superpowers are things that I feel like I can do that maybe the average person is not cool with, um and and I was like I can do this, and I took I took the knife right away like I was the the person up front doing the cutting. Problem is I don't listen to directions. It's why it's one of the reasons why I, I don't uh, I don't drive a car because there's, there's too many rules to that. I'm going to kill someone. So uh, I'm taking myself out of that, that situation. And uh, with the cat, you know, you're supposed to when you're dissecting something, you are opening the skin to and, and then, you know, slowly going, you know, through the layers in order to actually learn and educate yourself on what's in the body. But I bypassed the skin and went straight through the stomach. So, and we're, we're, we have these cats on ice, you know, for weeks. They're in fridges. And this cat, my art, mine was the only one that was leaking stomach acid for like six weeks. And it just oh stunk God. up the room every time I, uh, we brought mine out. And I was just like, sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. I was <laughs> wow. Happy. Uh, I feel like I feel like I gotta apologize to uh, governors for this comedy show. I know what happened to comedy. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me bring it back there. Uh, now, <laughs> I, I I don't know how you took that in the. How intro. did we get into the subject? Oh, because somebody tried to put me on, on stage. When I, right. By the way, I killed that night. Hey. Oh. So did that guy get him back to the next show? Uh, <laughs> so in the in when in the intro I said uh, about talked about how animated you are on stage and, and basically this stuff I know uh, were you a fan of Howie Mandel's or has anybody ever said that and do you take that as an offense or you take it as a compliment no, I meant it as really. a compliment. I, was never, I mean I, I remember him when we, we when he used to work the comedy store I mean uh, yuck yucks way back and way back in the day and I've worked with him in the past I mean. Uh, here we go. Here's a, let me see. Oh, oh there yeah. you go. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, look like twins. He's a nice, he's a nice guy. You know, I, I even shook his hand. <laughs> and then he went, Phew. That's right. <laughs> no. Right. 
Um, I, I who did I who like who did I like? I grew up. See, you, you, you were talking about me being born in Italy, and when I came to America in 1959, uh, we I came over, and my mother. Uh, I was not. My childhood was not normal because my my stepfather my my father died when I was five years old, and my mother put me and my sister in an orphanage, and then. While we were there, my mother's sister was living in America already, arranged a marriage, and my stepfather came to Italy, and he married my mother, and he brought us to America in 1959, but my stepfather was black. Okay. So I grew up with a black father in the early 60s and late 50s, and and um, so my childhood wasn't normal. We, we watched television, but the comedians that influenced me were guys like Wild Man Steve, yeah, because that's what the neighbors used to listen to, the party records and Red Fox and Dolom. I mean, not Dolom, my Dolom came later. Um, uh, Lawanda Page, you know. Wow. So black. I grew up on Red Fox records too. Flip Wilson was that one of in your uh, repertoire? Flip Wilson records. We had lots of because Flip Wilson used to oh, do Flip lots was of. Funny. Uh, Red Red was. I worked with Red. He was he was wonderful. Really a nice guy. Really. Yeah. Wow, because uh, he was one of those guys who was really, really dirty, really uh, super dirty. I he mean, worked. it's funny. He took me to see Lawanda Page perform one night. She was a lot dirtier than him. Lawanda <laughs> Page was on Esther on the TV show. Wow. And so did you grow up in a black neighborhood? I did. Wow. Yeah, I was that... basically one of the only white kids there, and then my, my sister and I. My brother. Very, very and, interesting. But uh, I, you know, pa, pa, all this stuff. I makes can't even tell you what the black kids you call, used to call me because I can't even use that word now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, now, now we're wondering what it is. It used to, it used, they used to call me white N word. Wow. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The that, black that, kids that was my you nickname. That? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that was my nickname. Wow. So, and then when did you first realize that you wanted to be a comedian? Um, well, what happened was I never, in, in high school, when you were in high school, did you do plays and theater and all that? See, I, did, I didn't yes. do any of that stuff. I didn't do any of that stuff because my childhood was just so messed up. And all I wanted to is to get away from the world, you know, I, and I started living on my own early and I met a woman and she said I, that she loved me. And I said, okay, let's get married. I was 19. <laughs> <laughs> so we got married at 19 which was really stupid we had a kid and then she left me about Damn. i was like 21 or 22 um years old and she left me and i was devastated and i remember uh wandering the streets of new york city you know and i was on bank street and i just happened to look up and i saw a sign in front of a studio that said acting classes start on whatever certain date it was. And at the time I used to own, I had a, a little pizzeria. I used to make pizza, you know? And I said, acting classes, maybe I can meet some chicks. <laughs> that was my only motivation. Cause I figured most of the guys were going to be gay, you know, and I had a better chance, <laughs> you know? So I took acting classes just for fun. And it was HB studios. You've been at HB studios in New York. Yeah. Herper Perkoff Studio. So I took acting classes and I I found out that I was pretty good at acting. And I was in I did a couple off-Broadway shows one night. The cast went to the comic strip to see comedy. 
And I went, I, first time I went to a comedy show, and I remember the comedy. Larry Miller was a comedian that night we saw. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Uncle Dirty. Uncle Dirty. Do, do, so it wasn't Dr. Dirty, Uncle Dirty? No, it was Uncle Dirty. I don't remember him. Yeah, Uncle Dirty, uh, Robert Altman was his real name, but he was he used to perform at the Fillmore East a lot, opening for band, toured with the dead. Right. Um, you, you should Google the real Uncle Dirty. The real Uncle Dirty. I will yeah. do that. Right he, now, he, we have he, to he say goodbye. To, he's dead now, but... We have to say goodbye to Gov's Network right now because... Oh, uh, we were uh, leaving... We're, no, we're not closing the show, we're just, but Governor's Network, we just want to remind them, uh, Max will be at Brokerage, which is part of the Governor's, uh, I don't know. But anyway, quickly, I, when, I was, when I was watching comedy for the first time, I remember sitting there thinking to myself, I can meet more chicks doing that. It's interesting. Now, it's different. I think it's di I think I think it's different for women, but cuz you're saying you got into it for 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 the attention from the ladies and meeting ladies. I know for a fact that I got into music for that same reason. I was just going to say you're pulling the old rock star trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh it's different though for women though. You never you didn't get into acting to impress men, did you? Just Oh my god, I have to like swap them away like flies in in like Savannah, Georgia. God damn. Yeah. You know what? Uh, the other night <clears throat> last Saturday or Friday night well, we played a gig and two young ladies came up to me and they, they were uh, being very complimentary fans. And to me, it was a highlight of my night. It made the gig very high. And I, I was driving home and I was so excited about that. And I thought, in a moment of introspection, if it were two guys, I wouldn't give a damn. If two guys come up to me and tell me how great they thought I was. I, it doesn't matter, but because it was two young women, attractive young women, I'm driving home, even though I'm not going to do anything about it, I'm a happily married man, the fact that it was ladies finding, being impressed with what I was doing made me more excited about it. And I, I thought, well, that's still the reason I do it, is to impress the lady, even though, I'm again, I'm a happily married man. I'm not. I'm a very that. happily married man, honey. But that's what that's a reward for me. Still, yeah. is is attention from girls, and I just like uh, laughter. <laughs> I just like laugh. I don't care where it's coming from. I just want the laughter. Understandable. I, Matt, I do have to go though. I got, okay, I, I got to do this thing. They say I know you're with Tony Walker, right? No, uh, next, no. No, you're not We're on another government tonight. Oh, okay. Do you? Do you? <laughs> no, I don't. Yes. Are you online or something? This the at this is Jess Paul. Jess Paul dot net. Oh yeah. Oh, I thought you were gonna ha have me look up your schedule. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'll, uh, say, I'll tell you who you're on with tonight. <laughs> do you? Uh, are you? You're not related related to Les Paul, are you? Well, that is where the inspiration for the name came from. Oh, okay, you play guitar. Do you play yeah. guitar? No, no, I I pretend to like I, I've got a fake name, I've got a fake guitar. Okay, okay. <laughs> Max, it's been a, a pleasure to get to know you. Uh, we wish you success over there. At, uh, knock him dead over there at the. Um, I'm going to uh, do that, all right? And, and and Jess, one of these days, I hope we run into each other. Yeah. Well, you come to I, that LA coast, and I for sure won't be in a car. So okay. you'll, want, you'll well, have me walking I, around the neighborhood. I go to LA. I'll just. Do a, I'll probably go to the comedy store, hang out with Argus and some old friends. Very hey, cool. sure, yeah. Send yeah. me, send me an invite, and I'll, I'll well, lift my way down there. 
Just a, a quick reminder to people, uh, there's a link to where you can get tickets for tonight in the description. It's going across the bottom, and maxdocherry.com is uh, where you'll find out more about Max. Well, uh, yeah, but but if the tickets are at Brokerage. Right. Uh, yeah, Brokerage. So there's two different links there. Link. Maxdocherry.com, and then there's the BrokerageGov.com event. Yeah, you got to go to Brokerage and, and get tickets, because I don't got no tickets. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Here you say. All right, Max, be well. Thanks for coming, Good man. Uh, so, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Jess. Thank now. you so much. Nice to meet you, Goodbye, Max. everybody. Bye. Max Zotelli, folks. You're on the wrong side. I don't like that. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think? Um, any thoughts on that conversation? Oh, my gosh. We had we had the, the, the best kind of like crisscrossing, uh, you know, uh, unfinished tangents kind of kind of morning like we like you usually do. Yeah. Uh, what do you got coming up? You got things coming up that, that my gosh, my fall is going to be insane. Though it, a lot of it is is non actory stuff. I don't know if I said that last week because this is what I'm looking forward to. But Halloween going to be crazy for the fake. I'm getting ready now. I'm getting ready like all the all the you know uh, CVSs that are putting their Kit Kats out you know already so that we uh. eat them you know two months before we 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 even needed to buy them for you know what i'm just thinking i'm a little jealous what? uh because i i think probably what i experience you don't experience quite uh, probably almost never experiences well uh, cancellations on short notice of of things that you like paying gigs and things like oh, that no that I, that happens hey th- i mean s- speaking of like olivia day olivia's day you know that was the the reason I came on your your uh, podcast for the first time, and we're on a little bit of a, a delay. Like I've been really excited to to do that film, and um and you know we're still getting things together, and that kind of thing happens all the time in film. I mean, hey, uh, like I I don't know if this is what you're referencing, but like uh, I was put on uh, a veil for a Verizon gig, you know, today, and. And we were, you know, I was waiting to see if we're going to, because it even had to do with my fake food. They wanted real artists, real crap. I don't know what it was for. Um, like I, I, very little, sometimes you get very little info, but they wanted an artist, uh, some kind of crap, real life crafter. I, when I went in for the audition, they were just like talking to me. I just came and I just, um, I was like, I'm here. I'm Jess Paul. And, uh, and then, and then you don't hear from them. And that, yeah, that, that's one of the biggest hurdles to get through when you're coming to LA and trying to act. So I, I totally, I totally feel your pain. Yeah, no, it happens to me a lot. Well, we, at this time of year, because we play out so many outdoor venues, things get, will get canceled for yeah. weather. But tomorrow's gig that I have might get canceled for complaints from the neighbors of the venue. Really? Uh, yeah, and if, if we if we used to be we caused this shit. My band caused this shit. There's a place <laughs> called the Nautical Mile in Freeport, Long Island, and it's basically just a strip of seafood restaurants where because the boats come right in off with the catch of the day and lots of great food and all that stuff, and it turned into a place for live music. And we were one of the first bands that blew the place up. And they had an 11 o'clock curfew, and we used to play really loud, and we play past the curfew. And then the neighbors, the neighborhood got so angry with us that they started uh, a decibel law where you can't play over 86 decibels ever on the line. 86 decibels is what you're hearing now. No. So you can't play rock music any louder than this. (laughs) 
And so we'd have lookouts on the street waiting for the cops to come by. But they come <laughs> by with decibel guns in the front in the street and point it at you. And if it goes over eighty six dB, you get a three thousand dollar ticket. Three thousand yeah. dollars! Oh my god! And motorcycles going past would be like one hundred and twenty dB. And so that would set the thing off, and the band would get. Oh my god! <laughs> so we're not on the mile, but this new place I'm playing is off the mile, where they kind of have been lax about that. But mm-hmm. now, oh, I just got a call this morning before the show that uh, tomorrow's gig is in jeopardy. He's got to go to court today, and to, because the neighbors have been complaining oh about uh, the the volume. So, so yeah, lots of it's so frustrating because you put a calendar together, you yeah. make plans, and you put other things off that you could have been doing that day, and then to find out your gig is canceled last minute. I would, I, but I thought in the acting world, you probably that's probably rare. I mean, not the day before, right? Probably not the. I I, I don't know about the day before, but bringing bringing something to fruition is is quite no, I a production in itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, I, I don't think necessarily the day before is, but I, I do have to say one thing though. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going, we, I was talking in the beginning of the podcast, how I'm going through this, this life coaching process. And I have lived my life so far. Like I, I, I often say I haven't been bored since 2009 and that's the truth. I, I, I have this list over here. I'm looking at it right now. It's called my long list and it's, over half a dozen items of, of like these projects that I never get to. So for me, if something's canceled or I have like this magical free time that I didn't expect to have, I'd go from this list and I'd take, take one of these projects and I'd put it down to the main list, the main to-do list for the day. And, and that's where I'd get the time to actually finish some of these long-term projects that have been put off for sometimes years. Yeah. Well, I, boy, I got lots of those. There you go. Make that Uh, list so that every time it happens, you kind of have it in front of your face and get to it. Are you, um, I know, I'm not sure if this is what you're saying here. Do you start projects and leave some of them unfinished and come back to them at a later date? Well, well, yes. I mean, yes, I would say that. And the thing is, at this point in my life, I, I would I would say that I'm pretty decent at checking off my list every day. I wouldn't call myself necessarily a procrastinator because of how um, how just busy I, I make myself and how how many projects I do. I do lend myself. But I know that if there's something I just don't want to do or something that seems too grand to finish, which I think is a lot of people's problems. Um, that's, that's where I know like, Oh, that's why that's been on that list for so long. Like I have so much uh, high energy and anxiety that I cannot sit down and read something like it, it sounds like a millennial problem. Maybe it is, but like to read a book and not do anything else at the same time, inconceivable for me. Uh, reading scripts is a bitch. Like sometimes, some, because I mean, that's something I have to do for my job. So I end up hiring my friends to record, to record the entire screenplay into a microphone so I can listen to it. But I have to say, I recommend that to some screenwriters that's, that is, they're getting, you know, they're starting off their, uh, their career and they have a script. The only problem with this is you're constantly going through drafts. So you, it's very, and it's very easy to edit something, but then if you edit a little bit of a, like a, like the third act, then you have to go back and re-record it. But I do have to say, 
with people that are busy here in Los Angeles that are sitting on the freeway in their cars, it is so, it would be so much more uh, advantageous for, for them and, and for yourself. You know, if, if you could just like, you know, put it on, put a file on in the car and listen to it like a podcast, you know, and well, it would be a little bit more digestible that way. I have about 700 songs that are incomplete. They, I've, I've recorded complete backing tracks to them. Some of them have uh, lead parts and solos and some vocals, but um, I do my, I always did my best writing by taking song ideas that I've worked on, putting them on a CD and just going for a long drive and yeah. writing in the car. I can't do that anymore oh. in the pandemic. It's just like oh. uh, since the pandemic started because I, I've lost my patience with traffic completely. I mean, I had to drive my wife to work the other day and I, I was a road rager. I mean, I uh, wasn't doing anything. Uh, I wasn't acting on it, but I felt it the whole way there. So I like, understand. I've, I've conditioned myself to be ready to get rid of my car and become like you, uh, a, a walker. <laughs> Honestly, it's the only way I get any exercise. <laughs> I wouldn't do it for the exercise. I do it for the for the lack of rage because people drive. Have you ever driven a car? Have you have, have you been a driver? <laughs> my dad took me to a parking lot you know once and the thing was i don't know how they expected this to go well they already knew that i my parents already knew i was so anxious about getting behind the wheel of a car and but the thing is we had a gigantic bright blue suburban like uh you know it, those things are gigantic yeah big, and big, big and that's guy. what they wanted me to try to parallel park in for god's sakes and and so i i got so nervous and i basically <laughs> Um, like, like we were trying to park in the parking lot. He's like, now you want to try on the road? I'm like, on the road? Are you serious? Like that, that sounds terrifying. And there are just lots of reasons. I, I have like this, you know, manifesto both on why I shouldn't be driving and why I shouldn't get married. Like, like these, these reasons that I came up with, like, it's just best for me and everybody else. If we just do not put anyone else through that. Like, I, I gotta say, I am the poster child for what I believe in, like, like, you know, be free, but do not uh, impose, you know, bad on anybody else. You know, do not take the rights away from everybody else. So I don't I'm, I'm taking my myself out of the equation of killing people with a car as well as uh, putting them through a, a lifelong marriage of uh, just inattention to them. You know, it's it's for the best, like right. because I, I'm already married to my work. So right. um, I've got all my reasons just in my little notebook. Yeah, you live your life. Uh, just let me ask you this. Are you a, 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 passen a good passenger in a car? If you were riding with somebody else, would, that, would you be very nervous? Are you that kind of nervous in a car uh, when somebody else is driving? Oh, no. But I mean, I mean, think about it, Matt. Like I... I became the writer in the limousine before I was even famous. Like I get to, I get to, you know, ride back. I got get to ride in the back seat. I get to have a drink on the side of the car. Like I'm, I'm in heaven, you know, being yeah. the passenger and I'm, I'm a pretty good conversationalist. I mean, let's say I'm, I'm pretty good at talking. And, uh, and so I, I'm always asking them questions and keeping them entertained if they, you know, if their radio was stolen or something like that. It's so. funny. 
Bert Kreischer last night on Twitter, and he's done this before. I think he, he's obsessed with these kind of questions. But he asked, what would you rather have, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or something like that? And my f- first thought was, I, neither. I'd rather have a limo and have somebody, I had a driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like Lyft and Uber were, like, designed for me. I, I, I mean, when I would tell people that I live in Los Angeles and don't drive a car, never have – they don't understand that. I'm like, it could have only really happened within the last five years. I could have only been here when those services exist. I mean, I mean, you got scooters you can find on the side of the road and just pick up too. I mean, it, it's be- it's becoming a little bit more uh, friendly to a non-driver, which is great because um, I would have had a body count at this point, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I lived in East LA in 1976. Oh yeah, uh, and, and didn't have a car. I I was underage for for most part, but um, also I didn't own a car. But I lived in Bonnie Bray and Sixth Street in downtown LA in East LA. So it, you know, there were things within walking distance. I we were the only two white people within miles of there. So we, yeah, we called Simon and Garfunkel, walking around <laughs> with guitars and you know, basically that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it was. It definitely seemed like a place that can't really exist without without wheels of some kind. Right. Yeah. But oh my gosh, I've been making the best of it. It's I'm honestly testing myself because it's been 90 degrees here, of course, July in California. So I and I go to the post office to to deliver my fake food packages, and they're so lightweight. They look very big and chunky. But if they're if this is an in like this is made of like you know uh, foam like memory foam, they're they're kind of lightweight. So imagine this. Imagine me in my like my punk rock studded ball cap to keep the sun out of my face and like my workout gear. And I have this gigantic bag of like, of, of, of packages on one arm and this other arm is going like this and I'm running because it saves me time and I'm getting exercise. So I'm like jogging down the street, 90 degrees. Could you imagine seeing that like on the side of the road? It happens. It's here. Well, I bet you a lot of guys think this is my, my opportunity to become a hero and meet a nice looking girl and carry her packages for her. (laughs) Yeah. And then I, I I feel like I've already gotten a head start on them. I'm just like, bye. I'm already running. Goodbye. No thanks. Well, yeah. Well, I appreciate so much that you you've made time for me and, and come back and uh, always appreciate talking to you and getting uh, your opinions on stuff. And so, thank you for for today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Matt. This has been uh, the the two funnest Friday mornings in a row that I could possibly imagine. Well, I appreciate that, and I, and I also have to thank you because. Uh, and I said this to you on, on, in, a, in a reply to your comment on YouTube, but so many of, uh, I think I know I have a lot of bots and a lot of people who just leave ridiculous, like one word comments on my YouTube channel. But I always appreciate seeing that you've actually uh, had listened to something and have an opinion about it and express it in a thoughtful way. That is so rewarding. I wish more people would do that. I think you could teach a course on how to be on uh, interactive on YouTube with with people rather than do hey that was great that because that that was great Doesn't yeah this is what social media is really for and I gotta say I wouldn't be doing that if I wasn't already a fan like of this podcast I mean I, I was introduced to you when I first came on but then seeing the headlines and the people and the, the, their their products that they have on the the books and I'm fascinated I I can't click fast enough because. I am so interested. I, I started watching, haven't left a comment yet because I'm not done with it. But um, 
uh, stop sabotaging, self-sabotaging oh, oh, yourself yeah. that you had on right somewhat that recently. That was different than I thought it was going to be. Completely different because I was halfway th- through right yeah. now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was thinking along the psychological uh, part parts of it and deep and deep in dig the psyche stuff. It wasn't that some of the uh, you know I never know. People think I do a lot of research. I don't know why people have this illusion that I do a whole lot of research. I don't want. I don't do a lot of research on purpose because I want it to feel natural. I want it to feel like a, a first meeting, not phony. Honestly, I, I feel to... like you do a little bit more behind the scenes reading than most people. Like you at least watched my movies when I came on. That was and that was so rewarding to me. That does not happen. Yeah, you know. but I, I didn't do any kind of uh, of um, like background check, looking sure. into your background or finding out who. Sure. And I didn't go look at other interviews and see how she, you know, how she reacts to these questions and that kind of, that kind of stuff. I just uh, I would rather it be natural and find out because I not the, my worst fear is I ask you something that I already know the answer to, and mm. now I have to act like, oh, really? I did not know that. <laughs> Like, I'm not an actor. I can't be. <laughs> that's not me. And so I want it to be a genuine actual response when I talk to somebody. And I feel like if I know too much, it's going to come off as phony. I don't want to come off as phony. In the, in all. Well, I feel like you must be one of the most enlightened people on YouTube because you get to hear all these points of view of these in these different ways to approach. Because, I mean, Mind Dog, you do a lot of a lot of things that have to do with either civil and social subjects or or actual psychology and self-help and that's you know something i'm interested in but but they're so different all all of the guests that you have on there's they they can be even uh contradictory but that's it that's the enlightenment of it all that's the the excitement of it all i'm a work in progress and continue to learn and i think that's what really drives me with this kind of stuff is uh, i love just uh getting some new information new perspectives on things anything that gets me to think or question my own self about what i thought about this stuff uh, yeah. it's, it's always rewarding for me and it, it's why I do it, I think. But I try to remind myself of this time in my life where I, I am saying to the older generation, like, open your mind to these things, these things that not only may, might seem new, but have just been buried and hidden for years. Uh, but then I know that as time goes on, this has even started happening to me recently, that like I, I, I advocate for for changing technology and advancing technology and advancing conversations. And then I run into something that I don't understand. And I'm like, Jess, you said you, you told all these people to keep an open mind or to ask questions or to have actual conversations. And so I only hope that as I continue to, to grow in age, if I don't, you know, kick the bucket first uh, early too early, that I will remember to reserve that same patience and openness for when it comes to subjects that I just can't wrap my head around. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, I was going to let you go and end this show, but I'm just seeing in the comments here, because I started this program today talking about how Dave Chappelle said something and people interpreted it and there was no way he could kind of explain once people heard the first line of his mouth there's no 
backtracking or explaining that to somebody. I think we've had an example of that with something that you said. Oh, let's see. Uh, well, you were talking about Rogan and how people have to listen to whole, whole clip and context and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And Kevin, I seemed like you got a little angry out here. This is the popular only people who complain about Rogan don't listen to the, Rogan's defense. That's pathetic, he said. Uh, basically, Rogan, the Rogan bro defense is you don't listen to the whole podcast. You can't judge off this one part. And he has it, some four-hour podcasts. Tom Segura's, I was on, I was listening to it like 1.75 speed so that I can get through. I you know, know. I know. It's uh, hard to listen to four hours of stuff. I can't do it in one sitting generally. Uh, but I do think... Uh, that is a common defense of people like when they when it comes back and says something that is really uh offensive to some people they will say well you got to listen to the whole context and then i do listen to the whole context i said no that's exactly what now to your point what you were saying was that was satire the thing about shooting people Mm -hmm. and i said that up up front it was a joke i think it was a poor joke but i think it reflects i think it reflects his attitude towards home people homeless people like they're they're his enemy. It's the homeless people that are his enemy, not the situation that is causing so many people to become homeless. That's not the problem. It's, mm. a, it's those homeless, those rotten homeless people. I think that's the take, my takeaway from that. But, but that's, I was just pointing that out as how Kevin heard you say one line and all of a sudden he's kind of, he's, he's kind of judging what your entire opinion is and like you're a Joe, Joe Rogan I mean, defender. I think, I think uh, <laughs> he was kind of correct because I was saying, listen to con- the whole context. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's what I was talking about with the Johnny Depp trial, that you don't have much of a, a leg to, or you don't have as much of a leg to stand on if, if you don't understand where this soundbite came from or, or what it meant in, in the larger context. Even so, like if you have a bias against Rogan in the first place, you're going to apply the most devious of se- sentiments and intentions behind what he actually means by shooting homeless people. I'm pretty neutral about Rogan. Um, I, I posted the clip of us, you know, we clipped our conversation th- last week about what we, we th- think about his success. And I even said, I didn't tag him because I was being shady, you know, kind of thing. But at the same time, uh, but that's just, that's just, I think I, I actually said that I, I don't think we call him a comedian anymore, but in listening to the Tom Segura podcast, it sounds like he actually does do stand up pretty regularly, even still. Yeah, but, he does. And he sells out theaters uh, and, yeah. and uh, amp, you know, arenas. He sells, I just uh, I thought that, I mean, if you're able to sit home and talk to your buddy over cigars for four hours, why would you even get out? But it seems like he's still very active as a comedian, even though I feel like aside from his his homeboys, his his bros for life that maybe people don't know that because I, I certainly wasn't aware of that. Um, I thought, I thought he locked it into the podcast for a long time, but, uh, but I kind of stand by, uh, I mean, I know it's harder. It takes more time and you, and left and right, you got to check your biases and, and be skeptical, skeptical about everything. But that's the whole problem with cancel culture is that, you know, we don't, nobody gets uh, a six week trial to stake their claim and show their case. So that's unfortunate that we live in such a fast paced world. And gosh, I was just talking about, I can't sit down and read. I have the shortest attention span of people in my generation, but I got it in my mind as much as I try to practice it and still fail sometimes that I can't 
I can't just go off the headlines. I have to understand what I, you know, where it's coming from. And I personally do not believe there was as much malice behind what Rogan said. Um, in the context that I heard it, it sounded like satire against the the priorities that 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 the I don't know the government the, the law you know the lawmakers have um, that you know in in fixing our problems in this country. I I, uh, I have to agree with you that it's important to check your own bias on this. And now I'm going to say that my I've been all over the map on Rogan. I wouldn't he was the reason that I started, I was definitely influenced to start a podcast by listening to the kinds of conversations he was having. Mm -hmm. And I have uh, said in the past that I thought he was very bright for a jock because we have this opinions of when we see these guys who are muscle guys and gym rats and all this stuff, that they probably not very well educated. I think he reads a lot and I think he wants to, he wants to be, educated but then there are other times where my bias goes to him that he's just he's just uh being really irresponsible with things he says he forgets that he's he's influenced but in the same breath he talks about how how influential he is how he's more powerful than you know the network media all that stuff Mm -hmm. he's aware of his influence so you can't use that as an excuse for for being irresponsible. Once you know that you have that influence, I think you have to be a little more careful about what you say. I mean, uh, I, I believe that the reason, gosh, like, let me diagnose why he is so popular. Um, but I always thought that, you know, besides we were talking about the thumbnails and the in the crazy mysteries that he he poses on on YouTube that everybody wants to click on and listen to. And that's how he got to the top. But I also believe that he has such stands uh, amongst amongst the bros because he's the every dude he had a show on what channel was it sci-fi or something yeah fear where, factor no 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 oh. where he had a show more recently than that where it was like joe discovered i don't i joe, don't know Rogan questions everything yeah that's exactly right um and because in in that was where i understood that like the reason he had people on his podcast was because he is technically inviting these open conversations. I mean, he's had some controversial people on there. Uh, he's talked to all kinds of uh, sides of the aisle. So, and and he gives them a platform, which I agree with. I'm not one of those liberals who want to cancel a college show because the the person that's speaking has said something that you don't agree with. I think that that's the opposite of what you should do. You should bring them and then have a much longer Q&A session where people can challenge these ideas yep that's the only yep. way you should grow i've always been so disappointed about that on the left um again that 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 comes down to my root of freedom as as the ultimate priority um and and if if these facts are wrong fact check them if their ideas are ignorant educate them or or share your idea in the very least if it's not a fact that you're that they're looking for it's it's more of an opinion uh I, I, I look at Joe as um, somebody who has both a lot of ignorance, but also a lot of openness. And sometimes he has opinions uh, that are that are wrong. But even I, I was like really disappointed in Tom Segura because I went on Tom Segura right after I watched that interview. I went on his site to check out his podcast. And the, the first thing that I clicked on was a clip of him and his wife discussing the new Victoria's Secret model who has Down syndrome. And his 
problem with with the because he was trying to tiptoe around what he was going to say he was trying to you know uh pad it with some safety so when he goes down he doesn't he doesn't fall but his joke ended up being that the reason why he didn't find this helpful that that they had hired a model for down with down syndrome was that because he felt bad about jacking off to her <laughs> and he also was questioning if she was aware of what she was getting into or aware of how of like what an a lingerie model signified for different people that's a she, good question i wonder cause, no cause... i mean I, I i can't speak to to what her level of aware i mean she did tweet like this has been a dream forever i'm so excited but like the same women don't like women of of full cognition if you want to pose it that way like we're not doing it uh, what do you mean? If, 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 they're not aware of what what that men are sexualizing them when no, they get. We're aware, but if there was a lingerie model, um, she's 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 got her other reasons for like the, she's not distinctly being hired for that. I mean, she's put it put on a platform as one of the most beautiful women. It, it comes down to this fact that I've always learned that women don't wear makeup for men because men don't really like make a lot of makeup. Women wear makeup for other women or or to express themselves. <laughs> I, I agree. That. Yes. So when we, <laughs> I come with a full beat with like a sunset orange eye look. Like I'm not really coming here to impress you. That's what I love. Like that's that's how I feel most confident. And if I'm gonna come on and spew my opinions on a podcast, like I want to, I want to feel like I'm expressing myself um, and feeling good about myself. So it is. So my my distaste was that he assumed that to be a Victoria's Secret model. Is I'm well, a, a lingerie model in general um, was to to just you know be there for men to jack off and, and and to be honest you can argue that about Victoria's Secret specifically because their model always catered to men buying lingerie for their wives but I don't know if you know this Victoria's Secret has been in a downward spiral for like over half a decade now they are on their way out and they are clawing for some kind of relevance. I would uh, assume I, that. I didn't know that, but I would I, I watched that. a whole documentary about that. But also, I work for Aryan and American Eagle, which is their biggest competition and basically blew them out of the water with the, with our... I'm a, I'm a retoucher for Airy Real, and it means that I am not allowed to change anything about the model. The only thing I do is color correct the picture to make sure that all the lighting is the same across all of our pictures. I oh. cannot change anything about the, the look of our model, their skin texture, their hair, their, like, if it touches their body, I can't touch it. Like, you know, um, so, so I got to watch and I was there before that. Cam I, I believe I was there before that campaign actually took hold and we announced that. And so I got to watch the transition from kind of behind, because I'm, I'm like lowest on the rung of, of, of people in command, but um, I got to watch the transition happen. And when women realized that there was another option where they could buy from a brand that had models that looked like them, that had models of more races than just white, that had models that, uh, that were other sizes where you didn't have to try to shove yourself into these, these tiny boxes of status and uh, expectation they all went to Aerie because it made them feel better about themselves. And 
Victoria's Secret, not only in their practices, but in some of the things that the CEOs and 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 the marketing was expressing, uh, they have been trying to, they've realized that they lost. They lost this battle of the money. Like when it comes down to everything, it's money. And they actually lost it. And now they have these campaigns where they're putting women of intellect um, and accomplishment at the top of their page. They're hiring uh, uh, differently abled and, uh, models. We had already done that five years ago, you know, and they're, and they are just clawing for relevance at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Tom Segura was still on the, the wavelengths of again, not having, we're not having the same argument. Like this is not why this, this female, He's uh, a guy. And like, yeah. I'm a guy. Well, yeah. And that's why that's I, the point I, of view. I definitely, um, uh, was really quick to say, you know what, I, I I think he makes some sense there. If, if the woman is not really aware that she's being sexualized, maybe that is exploitive in some way. Uh, do you have to run? Because I want to. Because you just made me think of something I want to share with you. Please, uh, no, I'm I'm not going anywhere. All right, this is um came on my Twitter feed this morning. This is wh- Ooh, too well, it all started with- This is women in a gym. Uh, from the 1950s and 60s. Now, notice they all already have um, bodies that don't, they, that meet the desired results. So they're not like, and it's not exercise. It's, it's. <laughs> it's Dude, if uh, that worked, oh my gosh. I don't think it worked, but it no, was it men's work. idea of, of what a gym for a woman would look like in the fifties and sixties. And it's because uh, uh, you were, you were talking about, you know, clothes that fit, you know, lingerie that all women aren't the same. Every woman in this already has the uh, trim right. slender look and she's in the gym, not really doing anything that is real. She's not, she's getting felt up by machines. Really. <laughs> so was this an actual gym and they were practicing this or this, was this like at the world's fair where they thought that this was the gym of the future? Uh, it was kind of the gym uh, of the future. I mean, but... they at least had to build all those machines to demonstrate that. Right. I And it's Yo. like hip, hip hugging and all these like rollers and all. This is what it's just bizarre to me that this is what we thought a woman's gym might look like. <laughs> like it wouldn't be the same as a male gym. Right. Made so differently. Right. Yeah. Ah, uh, eye roll to the heavens. That's, that's funny. That's cute. And that, but that's, you think we laugh at this, but that's in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's before your time. So I could see you thinking that, wow, we've come a long way, but, and we have come a long way as far as that, but it, it's not that long ago, which is really kind of wow. We were pretty much cavemen within my. Life. Yeah, I mean that's why I advocate for you know just ever changing technology. Uh, it, it gets a little scary. Um, you know, one thing that I've always said about social media, like, do you do you remember that this uh, documentary that came out on Netflix? It was big news about uh, like a year ago, um, and it was it wasn't called the Social Network. It was it was about Facebook. And uh, it, it discussed all of the pitfalls of social media. And I have a very different point of view of that because social media freed me. Social media, when I was like in a, in, in a small town or a small college, like when I went to college, I went to West Virginia Wesleyan. I'm very grateful for all the things that it did give me. But I did turn up 
at, at the college and, and, and I saw a steeple and I just like, oh my God, I didn't, I had no idea. Like this was like, you know, kind of a Christian college. Everybody was vanilla white bread there. And I was, I was the goth kid. I was the only, I was, I was really, I got, to, I got to be the, a different, different form of high school, um, a different like stereotype when I went to college. It's like I had two high schools. Um, and so uh, when, when I kind of, you know, got to branch out when it came to the internet, it opened my world to a different community that wasn't in my immediate physical surroundings environment. And I got to find people that shared all my interests and my state of mind watching, watching videos and podcasts and channels of these people who they're really, a lot of people are, again, are just sitting at a microphone and talking, you know, we, people can look over at their computer and see our faces and our mouths moving when we're talking about this stuff. But it's, it's mostly like a conversation. That's why podcasts are so popular. We want to hear somebody like going through all the tangents and not wrapping them up, um, you know, because that's how com good conversation really does go. But uh, I, I like to be optimistic. And I, I try to be, you know, I think as anyone gets older, you kind of and, and smarter, <laughs> it gets harder to be optimistic. But yeah. I remind myself all the time, I put the accomplishments on the wall to remember that you you were saying it was in your lifetime and it wasn't that long ago. But doesn't that give more uh, creed, is some, it gives more density to how quickly things have advanced since yes. since technically yes, does, over the years you know absolutely. so that is uh, that is positive that's optimistic and i hope it only continues and and you know what max was saying about not being able to do the same kinds of jokes it might have been that like some people in the room either forced themselves to laugh in the 50s at that you know because there was a joke at their expense or they tried to pretend that they were in on the joke when they, you know, felt other to begin with. I, it's very annoying to me. Some of the people that are stone faced again in the, in, in the face of, of satire that they just, they're not computing and they're not understanding nuance and context. It, it makes me sad. And, and I, I don't want to say I hold myself above them in intellectually because I never do, but they're missing something there. They're missing yeah. something about and culture. I, I think people, you know, having been there, been in the, in those times, I, I don't, cause I was brought up in a very, even though oh, I'm not brought up, I brought myself up, but I lived in very multicultural uh, environments and had lots of friends on, in all parts of the spectrum, and I don't think people were as hurt by uh, comedy as as people who were not them. Like white guys, assuming black people were uh, offended by something where they weren't necessarily, or, or, or straight guys assuming gay people were offended by something. Listen, I know some. So that is true. I I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I've been in living in the, in the hair and beauty industry, surrounded by gay guys, and they had great sense of humor about themselves and were able to laugh at themselves and and make jokes about which if it was a straight guy saying it would sound homophobic, but they were fine with the with the humor because they, they, to them it was just like exaggerating who I really am. And, and so, uh, But as straight people, you assume, oh, don't say that, they're offended. No, they're not offended. They thought that was just as funny as you did. Just lighten up a little bit and talk to them, get to know them. You'll find out they're not all that offended. You're defending somebody that doesn't 
that's not asking to be defended. That that reminds me of like the the best case of that that I can think of is when any single female in the public eye wears a kimono and the white mob get on them for for appropriating when when somebody of Japanese descent I real I really hope that's the correct yeah. That's from the correct yeah, part of the is. world. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, they they're like, actually, we we really appreciate. I mean, we I'm sure that they appreciate when somebody actually understands how to wear it appropriately and 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 knows a little bit of the history, but they're kind of excited when they see that on on another at least again i can't stereotype it these are individuals that are speaking up just like yeah. they're individuals of the twitter mob that that like are are clipped in and in, in embedded in the article it's like but why does this person have the authority to for this to speak for everybody it's it's kind of similar like people are, on both ends are going to have different opinions but there are a lot of people speaking for other people before they even know the point of view from um the origin you know who, who's being actually affected by this yeah that's exactly my point ask the people before you assume they're going to be offended why don't you have a conversation with them and see how they feel about it <laughs> or just defer to them you know because <laughs> on another one of your podcasts that i was listening to i remember i said i commented below that when you guys were talking about a certain subject, I actually don't remember what it is at I this think point. It was a drag queen thing. Yeah. No, I there was I, I left you so many comments this week. Um, <laughs> I I had a knee jerk reaction to something that was said, and it wasn't my own reaction. It was the reaction that I was expecting. If the mass populace were to form an opinion or write an article, it was like the knee jerk reaction I was having, assuming what somebody else would do. But then as I continued to listen to the conversation, I felt that I understood the point of view that you guys were coming from. Um, again, being very broad, because I don't remember the exact conversation, but it was this. And this is what I'm talking about, about, you know, spending time and and just digging a little deeper than the headlines yeah well I, i'm sure there are if you take just short clips of of stuff i said people can draw some really uh, wrong conclusions about oh i remember it was actually a very positive podcast um and and it was a man who wrote a book about how to treat women simon, oh yeah 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 i remember simon, that i was trying simon to remember t bailey Simon T. Bailey, that's right. You guys had such a positive conversation, but my knee-jerk reaction was, why not platform a woman who had a similar book right, so right. that she can, it's like you're, you're cutting out the middleman. You are going directly to the source, how we want to be treated. But, uh, you know, a man talking to a, a group of men, it's kind of like a translator, Right. You know, the, the worst part of this is you could say like white savior, like, uh, you know, somebody white coming into a black story and coming to no, you. You have that absolutely correct. And uh, because I have had women talking about the same thing, but I thought that the value in that was he was talking. He was being a translator for younger men who don't. Uh, who need to hear it from a man because they they can hear it from a woman. They, they um, Yeah. They they get they put up the defense mechanisms if a woman says the same thing because I've had I think two or three women who've written books on on empowering uh, women but you know what it it, it may, sometimes it helps to hear it from from somebody that you're more in line with and more uh, willing to listen to rather because you know if I'm a and I am 
<laughs> and misogynist of, uh, by nature. If I listen to a woman, I'm probably going to say, well, eh, she's just lecturing me on how I, how I should act. And blah, blah. But if a guy says it, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, maybe he's right. <laughs> I mean, it, and it doesn't have to just cross those very strict like gender lines. We're just talking about even somebody that you relate to uh, in the very general sense. You are able to, uh, again, you have a, a positive bias for them. You know, you come into a conversation and, and if they are uh, saying something that's helpful. The I guess the only problem is, and again, this was going back to my thoughts on Simon's the way what he was saying. The only problem is if if he is advising something to do, you know, how to treat a woman that isn't really uh, what we want. You know, like if he's if he's translating something that like he got kind of wrong, like he he figured because he was oh my gosh, what a what an articulate and intellectual man he was. Um, so, so I would assume that he has been very cerebral and introspective about all this and probably has had, you know, he did his due diligence and he asked, he, he's, he's asked women uh, about their opinions on his opinions. I would right. hope so. Uh, yeah. but, but I, I do believe that that's why it's valuable to have men under the feminist umbrella, that there's a space for them, that when you push people like that out of the conversation, you've cut off that, that means of communication sometimes to other groups. Oh, and isn't yeah. the, isn't the, the whole role of this to be, to, to change the minds of other people instead of continuing to isolate ourselves and our groups, you yeah. know, uh, and, and create these islands. Like, I mean, I, I, when when Trump was elected, I cried in my kitchen that morning. I, I had gone to sleep because I couldn't take the pressure when he was elected the first time. Um, and the, only the time. thing that this, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to, huh? The only time he was only elected once. I uh, yes, I'm. I'm. Let, yeah, let's continue I don't to say the only time. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I'm just I'm just scared. I'm like, I'm I'm prepping myself. I'm doomsday prepping myself. Yeah, but. Oh. <laughs> but the thing is, and, and I feel like this is a sign of growth for myself, that when this happened, my my own knee jerk reaction, my actual reaction to this was not let's make these people our enemy. It, it was let me ask these people questions because I don't understand what pushed them so far to believe that this was the answer. We need to figure out how these guys got over there, how, you know, and and to a degree, I was blaming people on my own side because they had their own trigger trigger happy responses to <clears throat> how people that never met a gay person or never met a trans person, they were expecting them within their own brain, their, this, this person that grew up just not understanding. And I, and by the way, that's why I got into filmmaking. I think it's so much more powerful than a politician sometimes because you get a window and you get, you get to feel empathy for a character that you might not have found in your town, you know, like you in your, in your close knit social circle or your region of the United States, you get to the, and, 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 you know, cause my first film that I ever wrote was uh, my first feature is called Jesse's girl. It's a, it's a, my lesbian American pie. The thing is it was made to be a pop movie. It was made to be a nineties comedy. And I did that. I, I wrote it like that instead of creating some kind of cerebral art house, little indie flick, because I only, I knew that that was only going to reach the people who already agreed with me. And that's right. not the point. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I advocate for people who advocate.
Yeah. Well, that was my, uh, what you're talking, you said a bunch of things in there that make that a, uh, I know. I just kept talking. Good, good for, for, for my, uh, thinking, my, my cognitive, uh, curiosity to, 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 uh, dig deeper on and think about during the day. But I can't believe uh, you, you still call yourself a misogynist or what do you mean by that? That, that that's like your base, your baseline. I said you- by nature. Uh, mm-hmm. A misogynist okay. by nature. I was born into misogyny, and, and I was born into everything that negative. Uh, and, and all the influences I've had in my life, I've had to overcome intentionally. So, to born a misogynist, had to work towards understanding that women are not to be objectified and 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 thought of as less than men. But that's an intentional thing by nature. My nature is to be this caveman that my father was and his generation before him was and all that kind of stuff. We to to in order to grow it requires intention to say I need to unlearn some of the things that I learned by osmosis because you don't grow up a, a male in the 1960s and not come away with misogyny. You can't because you were surrounded by it. every male role model that you had everywhere you looked it was there. So uh, for that's, me- that's your true person. That's your soul showing through there, Matt, that that, you know, you took the initiative, you took the intent to learn and you not only toyed with it, you acted on it. You know, you made this podcast what it is. The, the biggest lesson I ever learned from Harry Potter, my Bible, <laughs> um, is that. Uh, so Harry, he had all these things about him that were similar to Voldemort. Okay. And he, he could speak parcel tongue. He had these visions where he could see through Voldemort's or at least his snake's eyes. Um, he had all these connections that he felt tied him to this person that he did not want to be. He did not relate to. He, he honestly in, in that, I mean, can be a huge metaphor for even your parents who have these, these dissident uh, views or traditional views, honestly, um, that, that might go against a, a, a kinder heart and a more open soul, you know, these ideas implanted in you from birth and, and it's, it's you making those choices, making the, taking those actions to actually open yourself up and learn and, and become a more, uh, a more productive part of the society to be part of the larger world. And so that's, that's where it starts and ends with a personality, with a, with a soul. Like that's, yeah, I that's agree. the real, the real uh, beauty a big of part of it is the courage to face who you really are and yeah. understand your mistakes and say, Okay, uh, because I, I wrote a, a blog piece about this not too long ago about how I was a racist as a young man. I yeah. did not learn it from my parents. I learned, My father was a role model of, of how not to be a racist, it, well, oddly enough, because huh. his generation very much was. But the sh- kids in the street that I grew up around were all... Uh, they all came from very racist backgrounds, and I grew up with that and had to unlearn it and, and uh, intentionally unlearn it. And it's a but in order to do that, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, uh, There's an ugly part of my soul here, and where did I get this from? How did it, how did I get corrupted? Where, where did I go wrong, and how do I reverse that? Uh, so that you know, that's a, not a lot of people have the courage to say. Ooh, look at that guy in the mirror. He's kind of ugly. <laughs> and why? 
and I don't and I don't mean surface, you know, obviously, you know, looks wise. I mean the, no, uh, I so, on a soul soul level. Who am I? How did I become? How did I become filled with hate towards people I don't even know? You know, that's so funny. I, I had something similar to happen to me, not not uh, a racist point of view, but we we're talking about biases and how and this is something I'm still working on, Matt, that I still have a bias against religious people. I'm talking my best friends are religious. And I'm saying this out loud that like I still contain a bias like my, some of my best friends are, are very dedicated Christians and um and and I I've, I've been you know again we're going through the self the, you know the self coaching uh uh program right now and one thing that I realized was you know created my bias is I went to Catholic school until I was in sixth grade so I was until I was like twelve years old and I it was the only time in my entire life that I felt othered and singled out and isolated and bullied only time in my whole life. Like I was a little, little chubby little girl. I, I was the only kid that wore glasses for some reason. Like, I don't know how that happened in, in class, but um, I, I was just picked on for, for, I don't know, just being the dork. And, and that was, it was a Catholic school. But when I really think about it, I'm like, they, they were, they were kids. Like they weren't tied to, to the institution. I'm, I'm applying this terrible time in my life and it's like it was Catholic school. That's what made me think this way. But if I dissect that a little bit, it has nothing to do with the religion. Now I have other reasons why I'm very against the religion. You know, uh, as as time went on, we we learned about um, all of the rapes uh, within that were that were not only that were not only in you know that didn't only happen, but were covered up, that were kept a secret. Um, just in so many corners of the Catholic church and, uh, and, and just all the hypocrisy that I see in just, you know, the, the, the readings at the pulpit versus what these people do in their lives or how they carry out obviously in politics, you know, cause I don't, I don't subscribe to those either. So uh, I I'm still in progress, Matt, if you've, yeah. if you've uh, enlightened yourself, I'm, I'm still trying to find that light where I, I can say like, I can, I can listen to somebody talk about God and not automatically like turn my brain off and, right. and uh, check out for the rest of the convo. Well, listen to Carl Sagan talk about God. And I think that will, uh, cause there are people who talk about God that I can say, you know what? Um, this is not somebody trying to force their opinion on me or, or be forced a behavior on me. I think that's the problem with organized religion today, uh, especially from the Christian yeah. point of view today is they don't only believe that I know that this is good for me. It's how you should be too. And it's like, mm, right. I'm fine with you being you. Can't you be fine yeah. with you being me? Yes. <laughs> uh, I, we're going on a three hour podcast. I think it's time we to are. wrap this up. Uh, I could probably go on longer about this, cause, but now I have you've given me a lot to think about here today. So I will, I will think about it. I'll be in touch. And uh, nice person, dude. I I love these kinds of conversations. Me they too. they enlighten me. Well, thanks thanks for being here and uh, thanks for being part of this. Thanks for saying yes when I asked. That's. <laughs> Thank you for having me on again. I, I'd love to come back if you ever need me. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, have a good day. You got something going on today? Or I'm going to go to work. Work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go gig out uh, tonight. But right now, I'm going to relax for a little while. Enjoy good. this summer. Have a great day, and we'll see you soon. Bye for Bye, now. Bye, guys. Jess Paul, folks. Uh, why did I just do that? Scratching my chest. <laughs>
<laughs> it's I've been on too long. That's why. Uh, hope you enjoyed this program. Uh, got no more shows for you this weekend. It's Friday. What do you expect? Issues with Andy is coming up in about 20 minutes. Uh, check them out. Uh, until then, uh, till I see you Monday. Matt Napo for the Mind Dog TV podcast. Not for the Mind Dog TV podcast, for Coffee with the Dog. Uh, thanks for coming. Remember to turn on your radio. Bye for now.
me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.